This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Happy Monday to you. Holy cow. What a weekend. Where to begin? Where to begin? Uh, you got to begin at the very top. Grandpa, I'm a grandpa. Call me grandpa. To your face now? Yes. Good. We it were doing was, it before and it was kind of rude. I know. So. It was really rude. And I'm an, <laughs> I'm an official grandpa. On um, Halloween morning, 8.04, Claire. That's a good time. Merrily. Yeah. Claire Merrily Davies was born. At uh, 8.04. Eight pounds, fourteen huge ounces. Oof. And my daughter's a very small, petite little girl, and Oof. took you know all night to get that baby out. But she's cute as ever, and boy, I'm a grandpa. It's way cool. So go if you want to see the cute little baby, go to Facebook. My Facebook page has a picture of Claire. It's changed my life forever. And now I'm like, I gotta quit all my bad habits. Got to be around so this little grandbaby can see me for a while, and. And I thought I was going to clean up all my habits, and then I started them all again this morning. So bad. But it is, by the way, um, also um, National Peanut Butter Lovers Month, mm. which is interesting because I had peanut butter this morning. Really? Mm-hmm. Is that one of your bad habits? Uh, it is, yes, on on apples. I See, mm. at that point, you're putting protein mm-hmm. on apples. Yes. Now, there's fat and sugar and all that stuff. Yeah. But- it kind of balances out at yeah. some level. To me, it seems very healthy. My my family thinks cheese on apples tastes good. Mm. I've never understood that one. Why? It's kind of weird. Cheese tastes good on everything. Is it like the spray cheese? No, it's, it's real cheese. That's pretty good stuff. Oh, okay. It's real cheese. Yeah. Not from a spray cow. <laughs> spray cow. <laughs> Those are the worst cows you can get. Anyway, uh, so, you know, everything's so, changed. Have you, have you bought your granddaughter something that she can't? possibly play with right now yeah i bought her a, a, a i was at a restaurant and the guy made me a balloon in the shape of a bear and he said who's this for and i said my grandchild and he said well i don't i'm not going to give it to you ben he started a fight with me okay he's like i don't give i don't give i don't make these balloons for any child under the age of two and i'm like well she's really she was just born so she she's zero she's She's not going to even play with it. He's like, um, I'll have to think about that. Hmm. And then I just waved two dollar bills in front of him. Oh wow, big spender! And he just started, you know, he just started tying this little thing into a bear. At what point I tried to justify a PlayStation Four? <laughs> yeah, for the infant. Oh yeah, saying that he'll need this someday. Well, and it I'll you need bond. to break it in, uh-huh. help him make sure De-stress. it's all ready to go, and yeah, but argument just didn't work. It didn't. She no. did. She, your wife didn't like that. She was like, ah, maybe, maybe there's something else we could get. Maybe some blankets. Nah. Some more clothes, diapers. Nah. Those are needed. Nah. Like, oh, well, you know. You know what? Kids don't need more diapers. <laughs> it's um, it's it's a hard thing. Do you remember back in the day? Because you get all of these things, but none of them are really for the dad. There's nothing. Yeah. Like the, my wife could get excited about every piece of clothing that my child got, but that didn't excite me. 
I'm not wearing that stuff. Yeah, I didn't care. I was just something else to wash, something something to put on the child for two seconds and take off again because you have to change another diaper. And I still don't get why they have the snaps on the little kid clothes. Yeah. I mean. A lot of it comes from the idea of, I think, as little girls are given dolls, mm. now they have a baby so they can kind of dress it up and put a hat on it and other things. Like, oh, come yeah. on. It's a baby. Yeah. And we just want to kind of play with them. I'd get in trouble because I'd never put clothes on them because I'm constantly changing it. So he's you, fine. He's in a diaper. He's fine. Well, we're yeah, not going anywhere. But like it's winter. Eh, house is warm. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> I, I see t- the problem. I was toughening him up. He was becoming strong. Now he's a streaker that runs around town. Well, my father said I can't wear clothes. <laughs> <laughs> totally sad. Hey, it's by the way, it's Deviled Egg Day. Are you a big deviled, deviled egg? I love deviled eggs. Mm. Mm. Depends on how the egg is deviled. I love it with cheese on top. Really? Yeah. Lots of cheese. Like Ben's family. Spray cheese? Yeah. Anything the bacon flavored uh, spray cheese? It's yeah. Good stuff. I like I like to just spray nitrates directly on oh, yeah. any food I make. I don't want authentic food. I want everything made in a lab. <laughs> That's the best kind. The best kind. Hey, um, Senator, Senator Fred Thompson died. That's sad. He did. He's a great actor slash senator. We like, need more political politician slash actor slash senator. Yeah, actor. Uh huh. Sold reverse mortgages. Yeah, <laughs> that was the commercial you always he saw. He sold the, reverse the mortgages. famous reverse mortgage. <laughs> There's probably a lot of people that are like, "What the? What did you do? Why did I do a reverse mortgage?" Um, that's sad. He was a good guy. Do you think we need better actor, re, better actor um, politicians? I think we have a bunch. No, but they're not really actors. They just try to be actors. Oh. So, they're not that good. So yeah. do we want actor politicians or authentic politicians? And is there a difference? Yes. We talked about authentic. There's no such thing as authenticity. Yeah. Because everything a politician's doing is tends to be fairly inauthentic. He's filling a role that he feels is yeah. being a politician. Yeah. The minute you're running for something, you, you've got to be thinking about the other people. And then do you really want the guy that's out there playing with his kids, right. the same person up there talking about foreign policy? You want no. a different mindset. You want a guy that's been on Law & Order. That worked for the time. I mean, to, he, 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 I always wondered if he was playing. Are you like playing with us or it, do you really mean that, Senator? It was kind of the same person. <laughs> his senator versus the Law & Order guy versus I think he was an air traffic control guy on Die Hard 2. <laughs> I heard a clip this morning. I'm like, huh, that sounds like the same that's guy. That's not bad. He's just playing him, and it worked. That is so funny. I mean, really, that's just great. By the way, Kansas City, World Series. Oh, did you watch it? No. They got to the 12th inning again. Yeah. Well, we'll yeah. have we'll, we'll hear a clip coming up. Man, you've People got People screaming, going nuts. They scored five runs. They did. In the 12th inning. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Plus, we'll get to all the headlines, I'm sure. We'll, we also got to talk about the Russian airliner. That's yeah. a big deal because some external influence. It's kind of like Ben. Ben's our external influence. He brings down the show. Yeah, I wasn't sure how to take that until you explained it, but yeah. thanks. But you're, an ex, you're an influence, not on the inside because you don't come to the meetings. You're an I, external influence. I don't know how that could have been taken any other way. Yeah, I think it started negative, and it fulfilled the role of being a negative comment towards you all the way through. No, I mean, well, I, I there was think no he, way that was going positive. No, it's, it was he unknown. could have made it's it positive, but it, at what, some point, he said you're an external I, influence. I was just being hopeful. Okay, I I just don't see where there was positive well, in any way. It could have gone. It could have gone a lot of ways, <laughs> but it went. We kept it where it was going. Um, external influence, meaning 
you don't come to the company. You don't come to the team meetings. I was not invited. I excused him. Right. That's external. Everyone, As you, everyone you do, at the meeting, they're on the inside. You do walk through and wave for some reason instead of going out the other door. There's two doors. Well, Actually, three. You could take another one. I, I want to be part of it somehow. Okay. And I figure everybody wants to see me. Well, no? a lot of them do. Okay, you're right. I mean, a lot of them want to see him. It is kind of weird. It's creepy. Uh, we're going to go to the headlines now, find out what Terry's got for us in the headlines. Terry! Senior officials at MetroJet, the charter airliner company whose Airbus passenger plane crashed in Egypt over the weekend, killing all 224 people aboard on Monday, ruled out any technical failure or human error on the part of the airline in the catastrophe. The, the, although the, uh, the crash could have been caused by, as they say, an external impact on the plane, although they did not provide any evidence to support this assessment and said an investigation would determine the cause. He spoke after the remains of 144 of the victims were flown overnight to St. Petersburg from Cairo. Their bodies taken from a Russian aircraft into the main morgue in a long white truck. More remains were due to arrive in Egypt later Monday. A terrorist group with ties to ISIS has claimed responsibility, but that has been dismissed because the group does not have the capability to shoot down a passenger airliner which flies at a higher altitude than military aircraft. So, external impact on the plane but they won't tell you what that means. Mm. They've refused to go into details. The new Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, eager to work towards some of the goals that the previous worker abandoned because he thought they would be impossible to achieve. One of those goals will be to limit government spending. I think if you offer the people of this nation who believe that the country is on the wrong track, because it is, if you offer them a bold alternative vision for how to get this country back on the right track, how to fix our problems, how to reapply our founding principles, Yes, I believe we can relimit this federal government and give people the kind of freedom and opportunity for all that they deserve. Paul Ryan is eager to make what he's calling bold moves on policy issues, including the tax code and once again visiting health care. The several over the last week, the big news was the Republican debate, third Republican debate on CNBC. It was kind of chaotic. A lot of the, uh, the campaigns met Sunday night to discuss new possible rules for a uh, the debate formats they they met at a hotel in DC the consensus list appears to include a 2 hour time limit opening and closing statements of at least 30 seconds each for each candidate pre-approval of an on-screen graphics during the debate no lightning rounds earlier deadlines for getting the candidates the rules and formats of the debate equal speaking time and according to Carson's campaign this is all according to Carson's campaign manager the networks don't have to abide by the demands some of the candidates said they may boycott if the debates or boycott the debates if the requests are not honored Jeb Bush's campaign suggested reinstating a debate hosted by Telemundo in which the Donald Trump campaign reportedly threatened a boycott you can kind of get a mm. sense of what the the, the climate of this meeting was last night as they're all going back and forth. The Washington Post reports any changes would be applied to debates after next week's Fox Business Network debate. Among the reasons, according to one operative in the room, was that people are afraid to make Roger Ailes, the head of Fox News, <laughs> mad. They're all afraid. They're afraid of Roger Ailes. Kansas City Chiefs, as we talk, or Kansas City Chiefs. They did great, too. They won, too. They won in London, yeah, they 45 to 10, it. but they played Detroit. It was horrible. The Kansas City Royals came from behind to defeat the New York Mets, take home the World Series crown. Royals 7, Mets 2, bottom of the 12th inning. The Royals are one strike away. One ball, two strikes. Davis comes to the plate. Strike three call. It's over. Mm. They've done it. 
The Royals are World Series champions. The world champion Kansas City Royals. It's been 30 years. Royals fans, let's get the party started. Wow. <laughs> So now from KCSP Radio, Kansas City tied up the game in the ninth. The Royals blew the game open with a five-run 12th inning, winning game five, seven to two, Kansas City's first World Series championship in 30 years. That's great. Since, what's his name? George Brett. Yes. Oh. And his pine tar bat. Am I that old? Apparently I am. Well, I'm a grandfather. Your grandpa, so. Mm. You better be old or, you know. Yeah. I had children very young. How cool is that? Great. Is that all the news? It's not all the news, but it's what we have time Man, for. And those amazing. are some of the samplings of the, so the Russian airliner. Oh. The new speaker, candidates freaking out at a hotel in D.C. Oh, yeah. I want to be in that meeting. I don't. <laughs> you got, I want Telemundo back. No, we don't. Okay, no Telemundo. They're arguing about, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Let's just not have any more debates for a while. How about that? Hey, in a minute, Joe Cannon will be joining us, our Washington insider. We're going to be picking his brain on a variety of topics, many of them you just heard about in the headlines there. First, I've got to ask him about baseball. He's a big baseball fan, big Los Angeles Dodgers fan. You know, they weren't even in the World Series. But uh, he's going to give us his take on that. Plus, we're going to talk all things politics, folks. Stick with us. Uh, We'll be getting everywhere on every topic from just the debate to – the Bush campaign. What's going on there? We'll find out. Find out uh, if Joe's got any insider information he can share with us. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, as we like to do uh, every Monday morning, we catch up on the political news, find out what's going on in Washington, D.C. Joining us again is our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. He has been the chairman of the Utah Republican Party. He also was a candidate for U.S. Senate in 1992 and was an assistant administrator of the U.S. EPA from 83 to 85. He's also been an editor of the Deseret uh, news um, newspaper here in the Midwest or the Intermountain West, and is just a, an all-around great guy. He knows everybody, um, even though he says he doesn't. Of course, that's what all Washington insiders have to say. But he joins us now to help us uh, to understand better what's going on politically around the world. Joe Cannon, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. You bet. Great to have you. And what uh, what do you think of the Royals' win? We got to start with baseball. Well, you know, I'm glad they won. I mean, it's, it's a, a great team. They play real baseball. They play small ball. They also can hit home runs. I mean, they uh, fun team. For it's pretty unusual. I'd cheer for a uh, an American League team, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad they won. I think it's it's good. Plus, plus, I have a daughter who lives in Kansas and, and a son who lives in St. Louis. So it's a, it's it's good, a mid, good for the Midwest there. That really is. And what man? I mean, to come up with five runs in the twelfth inning—that's a big deal. Well, that's what they do stuff like that. That's the funny thing is, is that, that, you know, they just, they really are nuts and bolts. Yeah. You know, you know, Bunsen base running. I mean, they're just, uh, yeah, they're, just, they're I mean, really good. It's kind of nice to see see them win. You could win it with just one run, but instead, let's just score five. And, um, 
but the best news of the whole postseason games is uh, the Dodgers are going to get a new manager. <laughs> okay, so, so, okay so you can rest. That was, that was, yeah, That was my big hope. Well, now, <laughs> all we need is Bruce Bochy from, uh, from San Francisco, and we're going to win a World Series sooner or later. Oh, my heavens, Joe. Are you predicting something here? I'm not predicting it, but okay. that would just be so. That'd be so good. You're such a, you're such a, you're such a boy at heart. Quite honestly, talk to us, Joe, about what what are you noticing? Um, first of all, I guess we we haven't talked since the debate. What did you think about that third political smackdown debate? <laughs> you know, it was it was a lot of fun. I, I did want to say just one quick thing to start, and that is uh, Senator Fred Thompson, oh. he's a great guy. I, I met him once or twice. I'm not, you know, was not a pal at all, but uh, an observer and, a, you know, just a really decent guy in politics. He was well loved by everybody. And it's a shame a guy has to leave the stage oh. so early. Yeah, 72 was he? I mean, it's it really yeah. it really just is. He he seemed kind of like the old guard, the old school that could still cross uh, cut across the aisle and 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 make something happen. Yeah, I, I I don't know one person who didn't like him. That that must not be true. But hmm. you know, he just was just a very likable and a really smart guy. Yeah, you know, he was a, a good senator. And uh, so anyway, I just just wanted to. Yeah, we, I could let the program go. That thing. Well, plus being an actor has got to help you in politics. <laughs> well, of course, a lot of people think that. Uh, I mean, we maybe we've said this on the show before, but. Um, um, Hollywood is a place for, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Washington, D.C. is Hollywood for ugly people. <laughs> so true. So, uh, so true. Actually was, uh, unlike Reagan, uh, he actually was a star later, after after his political career, during his political career, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's it's so true, and I mean there were a lot of there's a lot of theatrics. There was there were a lot of theatrics in that GOP debate. I mean that was a lot of there was some serious smackdown going on. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's I mean there was, there were little glimpses of that in some of the earlier debates, but I mean this was like full on uh, take on the moderators and mm-hmm. the moderators. I mean one thing that has sort of. In, a, in an odd way, and maybe things go in cycles, but, but um, you know, you wonder why Republicans put up with this. Uh, they they seem to get snarkier questions to the Democrats. Yeah. Uh, they, um, but they all push back. I mean, it was uh, it was a big high high drama for a, you know a, a number of the candidates, and then of course the whole the whole or several of them getting together and said, we're just not doing this anymore. Yeah, well, what do you think of that? I mean, I mean, some of the arguments are that we're here to – we're trying to appeal to our base. And the reality is, is somebody said, you know, if you haven't – if you haven't ever voted in a Republican primary, then you shouldn't be able to be our moderator. What do you think of that idea? Well, I, I don't uh, – I, I think some of this is a little show, some of it uh, a little bit silly on the one hand um uh, on the other hand they you know you really do you listen to both sets of debates and not just this year but other years you have a whole different tenor of of questions and uh i don't i don't think you need to have you know uh iowa caucus members managing the debates 
you know. Right. Uh, but um, but I, I do think there's a, a point that they're all saying is, is that, look, the, the – and you can think of debates in the past where the moderators were pr- pretty good, even even if they were on the left, uh, you know, they were – they were moderators. Here, it seems almost like a, an increasing tendency is for for the uh, moderators to be, you know, to put themselves into the picture more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think you know this is kind of an understandable reaction. But I would go all the way and say, well, we we should only have you know people who are Republican, right? Uh, that that's a little bit silly. I mean, you, you know, these guys, you can't insulate yourself from the fact that. Uh, you can't insulate yourself from the media in general, and you certainly can't insulate yourself from the fact you're going to get you're going to be debating with the other party sooner or later. Well, it seems like uh, in that debate, and maybe this is because that was uh, this was just you know the GOP debate. But do you remember when Candy Crowley kind of injected herself in the Mitt Romney? No, it's funny. Good, good point. I was thinking as you just as you started, I was thinking, you know. Even those, even those supposed uh, the big time, uh, you know, uh, debates between the actual presidential candidates are also subject to some bias there. Yeah, and it's it's almost like I mean I guess it makes sense to some degree, but in this GOP debate, there were you know I don't know three or four times that the candidates themselves were actually just sparring with the and fighting with the moderator. Right. And and the moderator was actually even fighting back and defending. So at some point, we it just seems like what I think it is that we wanted we want we want it to be exciting. They want it to be entertaining. And so if we could pit the candidates against each other, that's one thing. Or what do you think the purpose of the debate is? Is it to have the gotcha moments, or is it really just to let them talk? Well, that's the thing. I think they have. Uh in my life of watching the various debates, it's it's turned in more to that the moderators are actually participants in the debate in a in a not only not a not neutral way, but just like if you 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 look at the time, and and this is true by the way even on the Fox debates, you know where Fox moderators where they were, you know supposedly a little more right leaning, right. Um, the moderators take up an awful lot of time. And if you're a candidate, it's true, there are a bunch of candidates, which is also crazy. I mean, you know, you have all those people up on stage. Most people can't even name all the candidates. Right. Most people, <laughs> I'd say less than 1% of the people in the United States could name every single Republican candidate. I'm not even sure I can right now, but right. I think I could. But, but uh, uh, so, so, I mean, part of it is just the, the, the how many people are up there. But, you know, you want them to... Who are these people? I mean, what is the point of the debate? It's not to to magnify, glorify the the moderators, the questioners. It's hey, we want to know what these people think. Mm-hmm. Did you have a gut feeling? Who do you think won the the GOP debate? Well, it's so hard to have a gut feeling now. You know, after listening to all the commentary, right? But, yeah. But I, I, I still, I'm going to go with what most people think, and that is that uh, Cruz and Rubio really distinguish themselves. Uh, Rubio and I mean, sorry, Cruz and Rubio distinguished themselves. Carson and Trump didn't do any damage to themselves, except in my view, and maybe this is wishful thinking. But the fact that Trump seemed kind of like everybody else all of a sudden, and maybe a little worse in some ways, uh, probably hurt him in, a, in the in the long run. Although there's no evidence in the polls of that yet to speak of. Right. 
Um, but um, yeah, he 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 didn't look great. But on the other hand, he's, people still seem to like him. Man, I don't know how you beat a Cruz. Cruz is a debater. He the guy just knows how to debate. He threw together that little monologue against the the moderators, and it was brilliant. No, he 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 was really good, and I think uh, again, you know, who knows? But that doesn't mean he's a great president, right? Most of the people I talked to, and I was I was in Washington all last week, so you know, you're 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 talking to a guy who's talking to other people, yeah, all of whom care about the debates, which is about a very small fraction of the population. <laughs> so, um, but I, yeah, I thought the field looked and narrowed way down to two outsiders and two insiders, mm-hmm. and, and obviously uh, missing there. It seems like is Jeb exclamation point. Right. Yeah. Yet another week of stories of Jebba's death. I mean, you've got yeah. probably three weeks in a row of stories from everybody. I mean, even Peggy Dowd is going to declare every Republican. Yeah. Right. Dead. But, but Peggy but Peggy Noonan. Peggy Noonan. Yeah. It was like, wow. Okay. And she she is. If there's if there's a Bush family that has people in it who aren't named Bush, Peggy Noonan would be one of those. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, and she's yeah, declaring so. his candidacy, you know, dead, floating in the water. Is um, and again, and talk to us about that because how can a guy with so much of the money um, be and the Bush name? So he didn't, you know, have to push hard on the. But maybe it is the Bush name. How how come he's not performing it? It seems like he just is not wanting to be there. Well, part of it has to be chalked up to him. I mean, I, I, I have to say, uh, I I always thought, although I loved George W. Bush, I came to love him, but I always thought he was the wrong Bush back, you know, back in, in 2000. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, I thought Jeff would be the guy, and I think a lot of people did, but it was, it was George. Well, that in itself might be a tale that's important to tell, that W. was able to put together a campaign, you know, it was clear that he was going to be the candidate a long time before he became the candidate, a long time before there were any debates. You know, he right. was going to be the guy. And some some kind of, you know, little challenge from McCain. But he was able to do the blocking and tackling of a candidate, and he, he, he locked it up. Uh, uh, Jeb hasn't been able to do that. Oh. And, and, and uh, you know, people talk about money and politics, and it's obviously it's the mother's milk and all kinds of things uh, about about money and politics, but it's necessary but not sufficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, pl- plenty of candidates have had a lot of money that haven't gone anywhere, and um, and that could be happening. That could be happening here. It is happening. It's not could be. It actually is happening. He's just not getting traction. Yeah. He seems like um... – I mean, he's got a he's got a, a Hispanic wife. He speaks fluent Spanish. He he seems like kind of an ideal type of candidate. Um, he hey, also seems ago, like a great administrator. Like a year ago, if you're just exactly what you're saying is true. If you're going to design the right candidate for the Republican Party, you know, in uh, 2016, you'd be looking for a guy like Bush, yeah. uh, president of a southern state, president. Of, I mean, governor of a a southern state, a state that's crucially important, uh, a, a, a guy with legitimate bona fides, uh, with uh, Hispanic voters, uh, can really connect, uh, telegenic somehow. 
elements haven't haven't come together. And honestly, I don't yeah. see how they do come together for him. What did you think about the old head to head between uh, when Jeb took on Rubio, his protege? Well, you know, uh, one of the commentators I can't remember. I listened to a whole bunch of stuff over the weekend, and and even you know the next day. But but uh, just ask anybody who who. Just somebody, an Iowa caucus attendee, a, a regular voter, they didn't know anything about either of the candidates, and they saw those two guys, they saw that matchup, they saw that direct eyeball-to-eyeball interaction. Who Everyone would say that Rubio yeah. won that. Rubio, yeah, Rubio looked like did. a guy who could be a commander-in-chief, even though he looks like he's 25 years old. <laughs> uh, he, he, It was so clear. It was so stunning. Uh, you know, I mean... There are many death knells of the Bush campaign, but but when he drops out, I'm going to go way out on, on a limb and say sooner or later he's going to he's not going to be the candidate. That will that will be the moment. That will be the moment it tipped, huh? Well, and when you think about it now too, um, Cruz and Rubio, you said like it's two kind of it's two games now. It's kind of the outsiders, Carson and Trump, the insiders, Cruz and Cruz and Rubio. By the way, we're back to senators, right? We don't have any governors. They're gaining traction. When you think about the, the the who these governors are, they've been pretty pretty doggone successful, including Jeff Bush, mm-hmm. a, a, a tremendously successful governor, both as a governor but also from a uh, philosophical, ideological standpoint. But, you know, you've got Kerry was a great governor. Uh, so everybody, you yeah, know, Chris Christie uh, still there, Kasich. Yeah. I mean, these guys, they just aren't getting the ground they need. And yet, interestingly, Cruz and Rubio are, and again, with some Hispanic kind of backgrounds, too. And that's interesting that it's, uh, it's just – it never plays out, I guess, like you, uh, like you think it would play out. Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's, it's very interesting. You have a bunch of people on that, bunch of people on that stage who are, have demonstrated that they can do executive branch stuff. And none of them are in the uh, lead right now. Oh, maybe that's. And it doesn't look like any of them could get there. No, uh, no. In fact, it looks like they're going to all be cabinet members. Um, <laughs> we'll see. Let's take a break. We're spot. We're speaking with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. When we come back, I want to get into um, the Paul Ryan Republican House. See if there's really any prayer that Ryan can unify Congress and and you know maybe I don't know start taking some votes. We'll find out about that. Uh, Stick with us. More with Joe Cannon when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the line with us is Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. And uh, Joe is also the CEO, uh, CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization fighting for uh, fuel prices to try to decrease fuel prices here along the um, here in the United States. So you really ought to be thankful for Joe Cannon. And if you want more information about uh, his organization, Fuel F- Freedom Foundation, Go to the website fuelfreedom.org and you can get information 
about that. He also was, again, um, he's been a past Utah Republican chairman. He's run for U.S. Senate. He's worked in the EPA under the uh, the Reagan administration. And I got to ask you, Joe, um, now again, I'm not a political expert, but it seems like when Jeb Bush offered a warm kiss to any Democrat who'd cut government spending by $10, that may have been the death knell right there. Well, I, uh, I mean, anytime you're bringing up the word warm kiss. It might also be the guy, the, the corpse on the table who <laughs> blinks. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I but you're right. It, could it get worse? I know. Right then I thought, what? Did you just say that? It just – and again, I don't want to jump on the bandwagon and beat down Jeb. But it's just – I really think he'd be a great president. It's just he's not probably going to run very well. And I don't know how – you almost need a whole different person to take on a Hillary Clinton. you got to have somebody that will go toe-to-toe. one thing that a, that a lot of, uh, of Republicans, especially primary voters, are thinking they're going, you know, the guy is so nice. Yeah. He's, he's a, if you were to design a candidate, he'd be that guy, like like we were talking totally. about in the last segment. He'd be, he'd be that guy, but it, somehow the reality is something's wrong with this, this, uh, this picture. I mean – uh, you've probably heard of it, David David Brooks. I, I can't remember. It's, it's a meet the press. One of the one of the Sunday yeah. shows. David Brooks was saying, "Yeah, he's a fabulous candidate for 1958." <laughs> and um, that's kind of it's true. Kind of that's a that's a pretty good um, unfortunate label because yeah. he seems like such a great guy, perfect candidate. Yeah, and, and a great mix of his mom and his dad. I mean, he's he's I funny. A lot of people a lot of people thought the wrong Bush was uh, yeah. You know, was uh, the candidate in 2000. So, you know, I, I think an example though where we may have really been blessed or lucky or whatever is Paul Ryan. Um, it seems like he's if there's anybody that can unify at least the GOP side of the House, but even maybe with the Democrats, it seems like Paul Ryan. How, how, what's your thought on uh, his new uh, election? As Senate, as I, I, yeah, I'm a huge fan of speaker. Paul Ryan. I'm a huge fan of Paul Ryan. Um, you keep calling me an insider. I, I don't know. I've, I've never met Paul Ryan. I, I you know, so I can't say I know him or even know. Well, I do know quite a bit about him, but I don't know him. But I, I think this is the best thing that could happen in a, in a pretty complicated situation. We've we've joked a lot on your show about their actually three parties and yeah. Republicans are two of them. And, and, you know, exhibit a is the whole house speaker, the Boehner's fall and, and Ryan's rise. Yeah. But, um, no, I, I think Paul Ryan is perfect. Uh, I just literally just last night finished reading, uh, a biography of Jack Kemp mm. by, um, uh, Morton Kondracki and, Oh, he's the conservative. Um, right. Uh, anyway, I think I wow, how can I forget his name? Uh, uh, anyway, the two two really smart political insiders. But they end, the book ends on a discussion of Paul Ryan, who started out his career working as a staff guy in Empower America, which is sort of uh, Jack Kemp was sort of the first among equals among the the people who put together Empower America. Just just a, by way of disclosure, I was a board member of Empower America for a while, huh. and uh, but. But but uh, Ryan got to start with Kemp. He is Kemp without Kemp's, if I can say, loose cannonishness. Yeah, 
you know, he's dedicated. He's a creature of the house. He loves the house. He loves the detail. He loves the budget stuff. And he's a genuine conservative. You know, I mean, uh, um, so I, I think it could be as good as it could be. I, I, I think he's the perfect person in the entire house to be the speaker. And uh, even though he was reluctant, and maybe that's part of the good news, I think he was genuinely right. reluctant. He didn't want to be taken away from the budget details. But he's, he is he's a Kemp-like conservative. Now, he's a little different from Kemp, and they point this out in the, in the book. He's, he, uh, Kemp always had a disdain for worrying about the budget, worrying about the deficit. Hmm. And look, you just cut taxes, you get the government out of the way, and, and the deficit will take care of itself. And that might have been true. Uh, I mean, I'm a, just a full disclosure. I, I was uh, probably one of 20 people in Kemp's suite when he was named, nominated to be vice president. Oh, really? The night, the night he was nominated. And I love Jack Kemp. I spent a lot of time with him. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big Kemp fan. But Kemp had his limitations, discipline being one of them. Uh, Ryan does not have that limitation. He's very disciplined, uh, very orthodox conservative, but recognizes it differently from Kemp. So we have a gargantuan problem with debt, a gargantuan, almost unimaginable problem with, with government debt, which has been exacerbated, isn't even a big enough word for what's happened in the last uh, seven or eight years in terms of increasing uh, the debt. That might happen no matter who's president. That's sure. a shot directly at, at Obama. But the fact is we have a huge deficit problem, and um, Ryan gets that. Do you think his because one of the I guess uh, one of the big newsmakers is some of the rules he wants to change, um, which you know you got to have a majority before you can bring a bill to the to be voted on. But it seems like he's he he's loved by Democrats as well. Somebody said um, uh, that Obama knows him more than or better than uh, just second probably only to Boehner. Is, is who Obama spent the most time with, is Paul Ryan. Well, um, yes and no. I mean, he, he, the, the, the kind of the mantra is, we'll go back to the order of the day, the way, the way Congress, uh, the House, should operate. I mean, he's saying all that, and maybe that'll work. I don't know. He, uh, one of his virtues is that he is appealing to some Democrats. But um, I don't think he's forgotten how he was really, really dissed face-to-face, uh, two feet away, uh, by President Obama. In that meeting, and, and yeah. I don't think he's forgot that. And <laughs> he's a partisan. He, he, what he is, he's a partisan like Jack Kemp, who doesn't hate other people. Yeah. He's not, he's not an obvious thug. He, he's yeah. not a thug. He's not, but, but i got to believe deep in his heart beats a, a guy who wants uh, a conservative agenda, and he's going to move it as far as he can. Um, so, you know, I think he's, uh, I guess he's Jack Kemp with, who took a bunch of discipline pills. Mm-hmm. Which is great because, I mean, Jack had a ton of energy and people loved him. And he loved everybody. You know, the, yeah. Make the point a lot. It's a really interesting book if you're looking at politics, you know, from the late 70s to the mid, mid-2000s. Uh, but he never said a bad word about anybody. Mm. And 
you know, he, uh, Ryan has that that attitude. Is hey, I'm, I'm, I'm I don't hate you, but I love this policy, mm-hmm. and he's going to be he's going to work about policies that he loves. Is 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 anything going to be different? With a with you know with when we when we look at this and we think of Paul Ryan in there, are we going to be able you know to push more legislation? Are we going to see differences than yeah. we would have with a John Boehner speaker? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously the answer is I I don't know. But the thing I like about Ryan is that he's pretty realistic. Un- unlike many people who elected a Republican House and a Republican Senate. He understands that you can't govern 535 people can't govern the United States of America, and you've got uh, you've got the oppositional problem of a, a, a Democrat in the White House and hmm. and and two uh, and the two bodies uh, governed by Republicans. So yeah, the answer is um, I think something will be different. The rhetoric will be different. I think he will concentrate on some kind of victories that he'll be more successful at than, than Boehner was, but because he's going to limit the, the field. And he's already taken immigration off the table, yeah. which is one of the, mo- the most contentious issue on the Republican side. Yeah, it's okay. We're, we're not even going to think about that. Hmm. Um, so, I, I, you know, there, I, I don't think we'll have a government shutdown, but we might have more artful ways of trying to control the budget because Ryan knows the budget better than anybody. Yeah, that's what he was born to do. Yeah, so which which might maybe move some of that uh, freedom caucus because he's aren't they the ones that are wanting to right. you know fight against Planned Parenthood and other other you know issues yeah, like he's that. Pick battles, and you know I, I think I've said on the program before the, the essence of a great politician is answering this question: Do you want to win or do you want to feel good? Mm-hmm. A lot of people want to feel good by making speeches and demonstrating their ideological purity, and man, they feel virtuous. But if you want to win, you have to roll up your sleeves and do a lot of hard work. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, Joe, what else do we need to talk about? Anything else we're missing? So I, I don't know how to get my arms around this, but I've been reading a bunch of articles in the last, actually in the last week or so on uh, this vast refugee problem. There are 60 million mm-hmm. People. In the olden days, it was called displaced people, but more than ever any time in history. Six, uh, 600 and, and million? 60 million. Oh, 60 million. Wow. 60 million yeah. that are looking for a place to go. That would be the 25th largest country in the world would have 60 million people in it. I mean, it's, it's a vast number of people, and mostly, virtually all that pressure is on uh, – on Europe. On Europe, exactly. Immigration in the United States, actually, the problem is decreasing in the last three years. There have been fewer, uh, quote, illegal immigrants, close quotes, coming into the U.S. It's a much more manageable problem here. But you look at this, most of that 60 million people are all aimed at at Europe. Yep. And uh, it's, it's, I I don't know what what to say about it, except that it's just an amazing Amazing issue, amazing problem. No, we we've had a lot of different countries. We've had some guests on exactly, and a lot of them are you know political. uh, They're fleeing because of political reasons. Some are financial, you know, refugees. Um, Yeah, and like you said, Europe is going to take the brunt of that. Germany, I guess, the majority. Um, But uh, some of those are uh, you know we've already agreed to bring here. I think eighty thousand this year and more next year. Yeah, but. 
I would just say, I mean, I, I, I have issues with how we do that and how we screen people and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But that's nothing compared oh. to this just like pressure cooker pressure coming up. I saw a map of the New York Times a couple of days ago that just showed that, you know, where all these immigrants are coming, they're all aimed at one place, basically Europe. Yeah. And it's like, wow, you, 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 you know, what do you do? What are you going to do? And it, it just, it's a, to me, it's a testament of the horrific conditions mm. in a lot of these countries. I and mean, a lot of these people are genuinely persecuted. Some are just political factions. I, you know, and that's, that's not, sure. it's not good that you have to leave your country just because you have different politics, but it just shows the, the beauty of, and the necessity of the rule of law and, and a democratic principles, you know, where, where you could have a, uh, a, a, uh, you know, government that could really genuinely take care of everybody within its borders. Right. All that that way. A faction gets in charge and the other faction's dead. I mean, a big chunk of those 60 million, it's not a big chunk, but it's, uh, if you're a cop in Egypt, you you want to get out of there. (laughs) That's right. No, that's get out of there. That's right. If you're a Christian in a lot of countries, you're saying, hey, we got to get out of here. Yeah, this isn't and going it's well. It's not just Christians. It's other sects of, of even Islamic yeah. groups. They're saying, okay, uh, the, other, the other team won. Well, okay, it's not just like we in the West, in, in, the, in, in America in particular. Well, one party wins. They don't kill the other party, and the other party is like, you've got to— you know, got to leave. And that's how it is in a lot of those countries. Well, Joe, and we appreciate the insight uh, and just bringing it up because, again, it is something that's 60 million people don't just sneak up on you. Uh, We ought to get ahead of it. Uh, Joe Cannon, that's his name. He's our Washington insider. Thanks for being with us again, Joe. Take care of your your family and your life there. Um, He, again, is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. Go check out his website, fuelfreedom.org. We'll be right back with a quick wrap-up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Interesting stuff there from our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. Yeah, when you think about it, um, these these refugees, 60 million, I, I didn't hear that number, but that, I totally believe it. And then we've even done stories, remember, on the on the show about certain uh, maybe ISIS soldiers shaving their beards, dressing like women, crossing the border, getting into Europe, probably doing what they can. We would think just to get to the United States and kill us, but we might also say just to get out of ISIS. I mean, it might be a great way to get out of ISIS is crossing the border and, and finding, you know, maybe going home. But in the end, folks, no matter what, you live in a glo- global community – so what's happening in Europe is going to impact you. Uh, if you didn't hear the headlines today, Russia, an airplane, a Russian airplane with 200-plus um, passengers on it goes down from some external means. Something brought it down. It wasn't the pilot and it wasn't the plane. Something external to the airplane brought it down, which is interesting. When you think about a Russian plane and Russia just entering the war in Syria – um, you know, plus their own warring inside of Russia with uh, with certain, uh, you know, groups and Muslim countries. It's a it's a different uh, type of battle that's going on. One, you know, one part of the world's suffering, struggling. You ought to bet that it eventually is going to impact the United States one way or another. 
So uh, global world, global solutions. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break, come back, give you more ideas, more tools next hour to help you live a healthier, happier life. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Top of the Monday morning to you. Man. It's hour number two, and I don't know what it is. My head isn't turning on. I've had a long weekend. You know what it is? It's being a grandpa. I'm a grandpa. I'm a grandpa, Ben. I could be your dad. Yeah, I... uh... But more importantly, I am my grandbaby girl Claire's grandpa. I'm telling you, I'm a different man. My life, sure, it's almost over. But I'm a grandpa. Eight pounds, 14 ounces, which is huge, even in butterball standards. She weighed in in the Clydesdale division. Mm. She is cute as a button. But and my, the neat thing, my daughter got to push. She, My daughter wanted to go natural and realized that, ouch, mm, yeah. that smarts. <laughs> so she... But now we know why. If she had known, and she if she didn't have a huge baby, but my son-in-law's family, they all have huge kids, like 10, 11, 12ers. Whoa, crazy. My daughter was 5 pounds, 14 ounces. She had her daughter, my granddaughter, 8 pounds, 14 ounces. That baby was 3 pounds more. She was that The baby that my daughter delivered is the same size baby that my daughter had two to three months after. My daughter was two to three months after her birth. She weighed nine pounds. It's crazy. She had like a three-month-old baby. Yeah. It's not good. For some people, apparently. You guys are looking at me like a deer in the headlights, like you've never talked about baby weight and stuff. Well, yeah. But I did that. 21 inches. Yeah. Mm. Not to brag, but she's beautiful. She's perfect. She has a lot of hair. What's grandma doing right now? Grandma is, I'm sure, getting ready to go. Heading over there, she'll be over there today. We're going again tonight, and that luckily this they live right by us, so we can totally oppress them. Are they home from the hospital? Uh, No, because it'll be two more days. Three more days. Kick you out as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, make sure your needs are met, and then roll you out the door. I was, I'm a bad, I'm like, I'm, I'm a really intrusive person now. I never was this way. I'd always be the one that sat back. But now I'm like, hey, you need to ask the nurse about this. Yeah. Ask her about, what about this? What about this? That's why my wife was like, let's figure out oh. when to have the parents show up and when not to have the parents show your up. Your wife is brilliant. Because <laughs> it's that stuff where you just want to hang out with your kid and, and mom I, has all these things she wants to tell you. I didn't even, I don't know what you bring a baby. I didn't bring the baby anything. We brought her M&Ms. That'll work. But she won't eat them. No. You bring mom things. She can't even move her hands right. And she cries like a baby. Yeah, constantly. She's cute as can be. <laughs> if you want to check her out, go to my Facebook page. Oh, seriously. Let's just think about my grandbaby for a minute. In fact, I'm going to show some slides. Uh, hit the whoa, lights. Whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa. We're not doing slides. 
Mm. Here she is. This is is that the music? This is Claire. This is Claire getting a little uh, little umbilical cord treatment. (laughs) She is. Oh, there we are putting our little our little uh, mittens over her hands so she doesn't scratch her perfect little face. Mm Mm-hmm. Look at me. This is me gluing a bow to her head. (laughs) Isn't it beautiful? Oh, I love the slideshow. We'll be doing slideshows all throughout today. (laughs) Slideshows. It'll never end. Grandparent slideshows about my cute little baby. I mean, there's other people involved. There's a mother. There's a father. Right. There's other grandparents. Sure. Great grandparents. But you did a good job this weekend. I just want to say I held my own. I nailed it. (laughs) I nailed it. My, this is the greatest thing about it because every time you, do you remember there's that smell of the hospital that's just, everything's yeah. clean. Yeah, it's too clean. And then there's the nurses coming in every five minutes wanting to touch you. That would drive me crazy. Well, but, no, they ignore the father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ignore the father unless you father, carry the baby out. Yeah, and then as I did, I tried to leave the room with the baby and apparently I set off alarms and people but went these, nuts. So we these big back. hospitals, like apparently two or three times a year, somebody tries to walk out with a baby. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of them. They figure there's like, I'll just spares, take that one. right? But I guess who takes them are the are fathers that are estranged that yeah. aren't allowed to see their kids. Like Ben, you remember Ben's story? Yeah. Anyway. Really sad. Today, uh, a little bit later, we're going to be talking with Dr. James Roberts about um, from Baylor University about how your your Facebook page and your use of electronics, it may be ruining your relationship. Your cell phone may be ruining your relationships. Over the weekend, mm-hmm. it was my wife's lack of cell phone use that caused a problem. Really? She didn't answer your text? No. On last week, there was one day she charged her phone, uh-huh. 100% charge, went to work, came home, 9 o'clock the next night. Her phone was at 93% charge. She hardly uses she her She barely touches it. It just sits in her purse. Well, why does she have one? Because she wanted... Well, the phone that she had was going to fall apart. Yeah. It was horrible. So we got her, well, we gave her my old phone. Yeah, because she's not, she, but, she shouldn't have a new one. But she did, well. You she, give her yours and then you get the new one because you're, you're way tech. I'm, tech. I'm really you're, excited you're by addicted. this. She could care less, really. Yeah. And so she has demonstrated that she care, cares less. I keep asking her, so what are you doing with your phone now? She goes, nothing. Like, I turn it on. So I'm going to, I've, I've made a, a, a pact. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. It's her phone. She can do it as she wish. I'm excited yeah. about the phone, and yeah. I have all wonderful little things You've my phone does. You've got all these does. little gadgets now. She wants nothing to do with that. You know what you need to get are the watches. Yeah, that would be Because then you can, absolutely you can share your heart rate, your heartbeat with her. <laughs> no, she you just wants- send her love messages. She wants to text and not have to deal with what the broken keyboard she had before. Wow. So she's happy. She has- She's healthy. Really no use for the phone other than, than to call me, and no one uses a phone to make phone calls. I know. That's like old-fashioned. But that's what she does. Dr. James Roberts will be joining us in just a few minutes. But before we do that, let's get to the headlines with Terry. What's going on around the world, Terry? Thanks, Matt. The Russian plane that crashed Saturday in the Sinai Peninsula broke down in midair at high altitude. Russia Air Transport Chief said over the weekend, this morning airline officials ruled out equipment or human error and pointed to an external impact on the plane. They gave no evidence to that conclusion. What exactly caused the plane to go down is not known yet. Authorities have recovered the data and cockpit voice recorders, which may provide more details. All 224 passengers, most of whom were Russian tourists, died in the crash. The plane was en route from Egypt to St. Petersburg, Russia, 
At least three major airlines have announced that they will avoid flying over the Sinai Peninsula until they know more about Saturday's crash. Marco Rubio has been under attack from Jeb Bush for a couple of weeks now, facing down criticisms about not showing up for Senate votes and his lack of executive experience. Senator Rubio went on CBS's Face the Nation to address those challenges. It is true that the presidency is not like being a U.S. senator, but it's also not like being a governor. There is no office in the world like the United States presidency. What I have shown over the last five years especially is good judgment and understanding of the major issues before America, particularly on foreign policy. I do not believe there's anyone else in this race that has shown better judgment on the issues before America today than I have. Rubio is currently third in Iowa primary polls with 10% of the vote. Three minor earthquakes rocked Phoenix on Sunday, sending shockwaves throughout several cities. The series of minor quakes took place near Black Canyon City, about 45 miles north of Phoenix. The first earthquake, a 3.2 magnitude, struck at about 9 a.m., followed by a magnitude 4.1 tremor at 11.30. And the third quake took place at 11.49 p.m. No major injuries or damages were reported. Kansas City Royals came from behind to defeat the New York Mets, take home the World Series crown, scoring five runs in the 12th inning, winning game five of the series, seven games to two. The uh, Kenyan runners, Stanley Bowalt and Mary Katani, each won the New York City Marathons for the men and women on Sunday. Times of two hours, 10 minutes, 34 seconds, and two hours, 24 minutes, 25 seconds, respectively. Matt, could you do that? Absolutely. Marathon in two hours? Are we driving or running? Two and a half hours running. Ah, no. No, okay. Not everyone was happy, though, with their performance that day. Okay. There's a a marathon officials before the marathon began told Michael Caprell of Canada that he could not joggle during the race. Joggle? Joggle. The New York Times reports that joggling means juggling while running, and it's an actual competitive sport. It's been around (laughs) since the 70s, and Michael Caprell's... (laughs) <laughs> seen as the best of it. He's a guy you've probably seen in some uh, commercials nope. for a hotel chain. Never seen it. He's running through the lobby, and he's juggling. He juggles beanbags. Oh, wow. Because you don't want to juggle something round that'll bounce no. away. Yeah, so he yeah. juggles beanbags as he runs. He just juggles. So he runs and juggles 26.2 miles of juggling, joggling. Yes. <sighs> These people, they need jobs. He has one. He's a joggler. <laughs> He needs to yodel and jog and juggle. So that's Would that a be jugler, a joggler? Jogler. And in, in other news, okay. Spectre, the next James Bond movie, okay, yeah. comes out this weekend. Uh-huh. Have you already got your tickets, I'm sure? Yes, I do. They were, it, the movie was released in the UK last week. Uh-huh. It just set a record in the UK for the all-time highest box office for the first week. Really? $61 million. Wow. Which in our country is kind of a... It's an okay opening. Yeah. It's in a blockbuster. It's okay. But yeah, there's, you know. But they're smaller. They're a smaller market, I guess. So $61 million beating out the third Harry Potter movie, which was the previous record holder that made $26 million in one week. Wow. They really beat so them out. So they really beat them out. Now, this is good because it's a $303 million budget. They got it. Well, they've paid off a fifth of it. And if you remember, they ruined $34 million in sports cars know, making the movie. Crazy. So they got to get their money back. Is, and is there a joggler in that movie? There might be a joggler. He might be a villain, and they, the the beanbags the might be explosives. You don't know. <laughs> the joggler, the most dangerous juggler in the world. Do you have your Star Wars tickets? No. They're apparently having brisk sales. Are they really? I'm going to wait. I, I'd like to wait. I, I, like, I always like to be a, a, not an early adopter, a late adopter. All right. I want everyone else to go first. I have mine. And I also have my babysitter set up. 
Man. Because my brother's going the night before, and we're going to watch his herd of children, and he's going to watch my one child. Yeah, he's got the better of that. Yeah, he does. I wonder what you'd be like as a babysitter, Terry. Me? Oh, I'm great. Can you imagine that poor child? My my nephews come in and say, can we play Lego Star Wars? Yeah, sure. I turn on the PlayStation and walk out of the room. (laughs) (laughs) That is pretty good. Who wants wants a hot dog? Every few minutes, Uncle Terry, can you figure out how to get past this part? And I go, it's all right. You got to take Chewbacca and you got to walk him over here. (laughs) Then I assume you just like keep the refrigerator cracked open in case they get hungry. No, they're more into the, the, like the cheese fish. Oh, crackers, I love cheese, he just, fish crackers. He just wants those crackers. That's really well, that and apple juice. So I just keep that flowing. Everyone's happy. <laughs> Parenting tips one hundred and one from Terry South. If you this uh, is the show where we give you the information you need. There you go. It's the slogan of the day. <laughs> how to how to imbibe with uh, some juice, apple juice, fermented apple juice, and cheese crackers. Slightly fermented. It's been in there maybe an hour. That's good. Well, Parenting Tips 101. Hey, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will be talking with Dr. James Roberts about a study that they did at Baylor University talking about fubbing. You may have heard of fubbing. Fubbing is where you phone snub. And if you do a little puff fubbing, that's where you phone snub on your partner, meaning I'm on my phone and I'm not listening to my partner. I'm fubbing her. It ain't pretty, folks. Fubbing and uh, the impact it's having on your relationships. Just having a phone, folks. It can negatively impact your relationship. We'll get into the data. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Did you know that on April 3rd, 1973, a Motorola employee stood in midtown Manhattan and made the world's first mobile cell phone call? Um, That day, history was made, and now in today's world, cell phones are more a part of our everyday life than ever before. In fact, now our cell phones have become smartphones and have even more information stored in them than the users have in their own brains. What a luxury, right? Dr. James Roberts is the professor of marketing at Baylor University, and he sees the benefits of cell phones, but he also says that there are some downsides to having such a vast amount of technology at our fingertips. Dr. Roberts uh, joins us on the phone today to discuss what, dis- what consequences we could be facing because simply of the amount of attention we give to our cell phones. Dr. James Roberts, welcome to the show, friend. Good morning, man. How are you? Great. Excellent. Great to have you on. Um, This is, to me, you know, I do a lot of marriage relationship stuff and coaching, and I found that in the end, phones, they they really may be taking over many of our relationships. Um, Talk to us a little bit about your study that you did on fubbing and explain to us what fubbing is. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Well, fubbing was a term, um, the fubbing is uh, what we call a portmanteau, a smashing together of two words, and fubbing stands for phone snubbing. So when you've been snubbed by somebody using their, sm- their smartphone, you have been fubbed. <laughs> that's, a, that's a word that, uh, funny little story behind the word, that it was created uh, in 2012 in um, Australia to help market a new dictionary. So 
but we've kind of taken the name fubbing and ran with it. And we've uh, our last study that you mentioned was something about what we call partner fubbing. Mm-hmm. So we looked at um, people in romantic relationships, whether they were married or just dating, and we asked them about their partners and how much they were fubbed by their partners. And, and what we found very much like what you were talking about is that technology and specifically smartphones can be very damaging to relationships. Yeah. I mean, it used to just be your watch, right? So you'd be in the middle of an argument or something and or and you just look at your watch and that was offensive. But yep. now it's yep. now it's the phone because it's vibrating. It's it's begging for your attention. And um, in fact, uh, one of your was it true that one of your um, participants had actually said something like how their phone has become a, no, how their relationship has become a distraction from their phone? But that was that. That was actually the title of the paper. Okay, it was my our, my phone has become a major distraction from my my life. Okay, you know, my life has become a major distraction from oh, my, my phone. phone. <laughs> it's so sad. And, and yeah, it's a great title because it really it really succinctly says how preoccupied or if not addicted we've become to our oh, smartphones. Totally. What what did you learn in the study? Oh, it was a great study. Um, again, it was a study, uh, two, fa- two stages of the study. The first stage of the study was where we talked to over 312 uh, adults from all over the country, all different ages, walks of life, and we asked them about their partner's fubbing. And so that was the purpose of that first study was to develop what we called our partner fubbing scale. <laughs> so items that you might, uh, typical items, it was a nine-item scale. It ended up being nine questions that we asked people. But questions like, uh, during a typical meal time that my partner and I spend together, my partner pulls out and checks his or her cell phone. My mm. partner keeps his or her cell phone in their hand when he or she is with me. My partner uses his or her cell phone in bed. So that may be a real acid test right there. But right. the idea there is we ask people did they perceive their partners as fubbing them, whether they knew that or uh, knew that term or not? And so we looked at partner fubbing, and not surprisingly, what we found is that people who reported higher levels of partner fubbing uh, also reported higher levels of cell phone conflict or smartphone conflict. So these people, you know, despite the fact that we're in the 21st century and we've all quote-unquote, have adjusted to this life, this digital life, it's not true. We still feel fubbed, we still feel snubbed when someone uses their um, smartphone in our presence. Hmm. And so we found that these people reporting high levels of partner fubbing were also getting into fights about their use of their smartphones. And so I can't tell you the hundreds of stories that I've heard after the studies come out about people saying, yeah, we fight, or I'm very mad at my husband, or even stories. I've been getting emails and letters from people talking about, after we've read my book, I have a new book called Too Much of a Good Thing. (laughs) Are you addicted to your smartphone? And I chose that title very carefully because it does – uh, very well encapsulates my feelings on technology, and particularly on smartphones. It's that they're the great. I mean, they can do we can do wondrous things with GPS and pictures and things like that. So it's, this is by no means an anti-technology rant, right. but it is the title very much too much of a good thing. I says I think it says it very succinctly that we've gotten too much of a good thing. And as you know, and as I mentioned and found in our study, is that. They're also, amongst a lot of other things, bad influences that these uh, smartphone obsession or addiction is having is one of the major ones is on our relationships. Oh, and it's it seems like we don't like like you were saying, we we think we all get it because we, we understand. But this is all new, right? We've only been doing this. We've only been working with cell phones since the 70s. 
but we've only had smartphones a few years, really. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Think about the, you know, the uh, iPhone wasn't until 2007. Oh. So here we are as human beings. We've been evolving for years. And, you know, and one of the things, of course, that are most important to us as human beings, and we've been evolving for thousands, and, you know, we'll let people argue how many hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years we've been around, but we've all, always been social animals, that our relationships are very important. And now what we're finding, and, and so... Anyways, you know, we're deeply evolved into this idea that attachment to others is important to us as part of our very survival. And so in 20 years, no matter how powerful this technology might be, we still value highly, place a high value on our relationships. And we're finding that smartphones in particular are undermining those relationships. Well, in fact, uh, there was even other research that came out about um, our children thinking we're on them too much and us fubbing our children. Oh, you bet. You bet. I, I wrote some stories for a, oh, a previous book of mine called Shiny Objects, and we talked about, you know, when the Blackberries, of course, were the thing, were the first real, real smartphone. And we talked about crack, you know, we call them crackberries, right? <laughs> yeah, right, so right. addicted to them. And there's some great stories I talked about, about, yeah, children, you know, complaining about their parents, you know, at their sporting events or at the table or at during family time. What do they've got? They've got their parents, their mom, their dads whoever, uh, checking out their emails and, you know, uh, watching little cat to, uh, cat videos on YouTube or whatever, but doing everything but paying attention to their right. children. Oh, it's so, so true. So in the study, one of the uh, the big points, though, is, I mean, it, it really decreases um, connection. It decreases uh, a sense that, that your partner is paying attention to you. Anything else that came out of the study that, that we all need to know about? Oh, you bet. You bet. So what happens is when we perceive our partner to be fubbing us, again, phone snubbing, that creates conflict and, of course, increases in conflict, reduce our satisfaction with those relationships. Mm. So and that's, if that's not bad enough and our relationships really, particularly our romantic relationships, are really the cornerstone of our happiness. Yeah. When we're not happy in our relationships, our most personal relationships, we are not happy overall. And that's exactly what we found. People who reported higher levels of fubbing and smartphone conflict reported lower levels of relationship satisfaction and also lower levels of overall life satisfaction just because our relationships are so important to us. So we weren't happy in our relationships. We, that tainted how we felt about our life overall. And then here's the real kicker, and that led to higher levels of reported depression. Oh, my heavens. You know, so something as innocent as we think of is just taking a phone call in front of your spouse or, or playing a game on your phone when your spouse is in the same room or when you're in the car together can really have some devastating effects on your relationships. And we don't even know this is, you know, we, we think it's just benign, but it, uh, it, might be, it might be having some serious impact. Let's do this. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. James Roberts, um, who is a uh, professor at, of marketing at Baylor University. We'll take a break and come back. He's also the author of the book, Too Much of a Good Thing, Are You Addicted to Your, Smart, Your Smartphone? He's giving us some insight from his latest studies about uh, how your cell phone actually may be tied to decreased relationship satisfaction, decreased life satisfaction, and an increase of depression. Uh, all information we need to know, folks, to help you live longer, love stronger. We'll take a break. More with Dr. Roberts when we come back.
friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever been sitting there with somebody that uh, either you care about or, you know, client even, maybe a coworker? They get a phone call and your your conversation becomes completely irrelevant. They just maybe, I don't know, point, you know, stick a finger up, tell you to, shh, hold on, I got to get this. Well, it's called phone snubbing. And when you do it with a with your partner, it uh, it has some pretty negative consequences, according to our our expert right now that we're talking to. Dr. James Roberts is a professor of marketing at Baylor University, and although he sees the benefits of cell phones, he also sees that there are some downsides. And one of the downsides is fubbing, phone snubbing, um, and he's done some research on it and, sh- and has showed that uh, in the research. That uh, when we are when we feel like we have a lot of fubbing going on or phone snubbing going on in our marriage, uh, conflict tends to go up. So marital satisfaction tends to go down. Life satisfaction tends to go down and our levels of depression go up. So it has a consequence. By the way, just one of the byproducts of the information age. And we're gathering the information so that you know what you can do about it. Dr. James Roberts, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Great to have you here. Hey, does this are these statistics true outside of a romantic relationship? Do we have the same impact and effect um, like at work and other places? Yeah, that's a good question because uh, it actually hits the nail on the head as far as some studies that we're doing right now. So we found, you know, that this uh, fubbing within a romantic relationship uh, leads to disastrous results. Right. Well, we're now doing a study, and I had wrote a piece for um, an op-ed piece for CNN about what we now are calling boss fubbing. So we're looking <laughs> at the impact of boss fubbing, our bosses, our, super, our immediate supervisors fubbing us at work. Huh. And so we've had some very interesting results there. What we found is um, that when... We're fubbed by our boss or perceive that our boss is fubbing. And that's very simple, just like you said. It's when we're in the middle of a conversation and, oh, wait a second, I need to take this call. Or they're talking to us while they're on the call. Or they're glancing at their phone when they should be talking to us. Those would all be good examples of boss fubbing. And what we found in a very large sample of um, of uh, workers from all different um, industries is that when we perceive that we're being fubbed by our boss, really, of course, what that leads to is less trust. We don't trust that the supervisor mm-hmm. has our best interest in mind. And so what that leads to is lower levels of job satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So we're finding that our boss's behavior you know, with his phone, the fubbing behavior with his phone, leads to lower job satisfaction in his employees. And of course, here's the the big kicker with that, it's not just that we're unhappy with our jobs, but when, when, we're, when we're unhappy with our jobs, we're less likely to go the extra mile in our work. Right. And so we, it, it ends up leading to lower levels of performance in the employees. Interesting. Isn't that amazing? So just something as, you know, again, as simple as this device we use to communicate, of course, it does so much more than just allow us to communicate with others. We entertain and do all these things. But in the workplace, we're finding that it can have disastrous results on our performance. Well, isn't that weird? It can increase your productivity in some ways, but relationally, it decreases people's trust in you as a boss and their performance for you. Exactly. And so, yeah, it's just, 
it, it, it's just dumbfounding. And so what we know is both sides, from both the boss side and the employee side, we don't want to leave the employees out too. We all have had the experience of being at the grocery store uh, waiting to be waited on mm-hmm. uh, at a store, and then there's someone fiddling with their phone. And yeah. so a lot of companies, and surprisingly, I'm, I'm surprised how a lot of rather large companies haven't really come to terms with employee use of their smartphones. I mean, I've had a number of occasions where I've been waiting to be checked out at uh, rather large department stores and grocery stores to see, you know, see young people and old people alike. It's not just young people, you know, using their phone and clearly undermining their productivity. Oh, it's like, yeah, we need protocols, don't we? And yeah, we do. Well, and I guess too, though, uh, the the mere fact that these companies, some of them, are providing these phones and they love it because it means this person is going to be fubbing, you know, their partner at night trying to do business and get work done. So yeah, it just well, has extended the work day. Yeah, we call them. We call that blurred boundaries. You know, mm-hmm. where does work start and where does work end? And now with technology, and of course, this is now you've been a struggle for the last twenty. 20, 20 plus years, um, but it's now a struggle that, yeah, where does work end and where does our home life begin? And I think it's to the advantage, of course, of our um, employers, you know, to be able to get ac- have access to us and be able to have us sending emails and do productive things when we're at home. Yeah. But of course, then that has disastrous results on our home life. In your studies, did you did you do any work on gender? Does one gender feel more more fubbed by the other? Is there one gender more likely to fub? Any information mm-hmm. on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Of course, whenever you talk about any kind of behavior, whether it's you know, any kind of human behavior, the first thing you always want to look at is gender, right? Yeah. That's such a basic thing that drives us. Um, and that, yes, what we found is in an early study we did, uh, kind of one of the real controversial study, if you will, one that found college students, uh, college women using their smartphones as much as 10 hours a day. Wow. I mean, you know, that just blows. And men were, didn't use it as much, but about seven and a half hours a day. So the average was about eight and a half hours on those smartphones. And interestingly, we're doing a study right now where we're using actual phone usage data. So we'll be able to verify those self-report data um, in a little while. Yeah. But to get back to your question about gender, what we found is that women reported being more attached and addicted to their smartphones than did men. Hmm. And in here, I think, is the really kind of the novel finding or what that we took away from that study is that women use their phones differently than men. Yeah. Women use their phones uh, more to build and maintain relationships. And so that means longer conversations, more in-depth, detailed, you know, conversations with other ones on the line, where men were using their smartphones more for entertainment and information purposes. Mm. It's really kind of the same way we use landlines before the advent of um, of smartphones when we just had the old landline sure. women were still using them more to you know keep keep connected with their friends and with their family and men were using them more for utilitarian purposes and we've seen that same kind of pattern of use in smartphones as well that's interesting I also see that uh, a lot of wives think they're less approving of their husband's use because it seems, I guess, more shallow than theirs. There, I'm just trying to talk to your mother. Yeah, I'm, well, you know, <laughs> but you're on fair, Netflix. I have, have, so have some kind of a, a legitimate gripe there. Right. But that, that's, it's amazing. There's a quote from somebody in my book 
Um, but he says, we all love our smartphones, but hate everybody else's. That's true, huh? <laughs> it's really true. So, uh, so genders are a little bit different. And so this is, how, this is kind of an equal opportunity problem, whether it's impacting uh, personal, marital, romantic relationships or your work relationships. What are some things you'd suggest we do, um, James, as you've, as you've written the book and, you know, you've studied this enough? Um, if it is too much of a good thing and if we are becoming addicted to our smartphone, what would you recommend uh, might help the relationship to restore the relationship? Yeah. Yeah, that's the good question. And this is where I talk to my, when I teach marketing to my students, I always talk about it's easy to learn but hard to do. And these suggestions I'm going to give to you and share with your listeners are just that. They're easy to understand. Everyone says, yeah, you know, I can do that. But when the rubber hits the road, can you really do it? So easy to learn but hard to do. The first thing I would say, first suggestion is that you have to create some smart-free phone smartphone free zones Mm. and so what i mean by that is you've got to cut out some times in your schedule in your relationship with your family where their smartphones are just are verboten are forbidden and so you know that would be things like i can give an example with our children and you know my my two daughters college age um, are both very much into technology, like everybody in their age. But we set boundaries for them when they were younger about no smartphones before school, no smartphones as they got older, You know, it's, but it started out after 10 o'clock, yeah. no smartphones in their rooms, certainly not in their bed or where they can hear it or reach it. You know, those are the same, some kind of good, same kind of uh, limits or uh, rules I'd place on adults. I don't think there's any reason we should be on our smartphones after a certain time at night. Um, certainly with romantic partners, we're on dates, um, you know, dinner time for family time should be smartphone free. And you, you'll love this in my office. If you were to come to my office, I have a little um, cell phone prison, and I think they call it a smartphone prison. <laughs> and it's this little plastic contraption where everyone can put their phone in it. And then you can put the top down, and your phones are in prison, and you can time it, and they won't let the phones out until the time is up. Oh, that's great. Oh, it's a great that's perfect. Yeah. zone uh, prison. And um, so those are the kind of things, the first suggestion I'd make. And again, easy, sounds like that should be not a problem, but sometimes it's really difficult not to sneak that glance at your phone when mm-hmm. you're waiting for that important call and things like that. But... I think the one way we can encourage that type of behavior is we've got to set those smartphone-free zones, but I think it wouldn't be a bad idea. I say I call it get it in writing. I talk about social contracts, and what that simply means is, let's say we're having problems, uh, of, of, of romantic partners are having problems, and you know, one or both are complaining about their, their uh, partner being on the phone all the time. Right. Well, then we need, if, if we can both agree that we need to set, away, set, set aside some times where we can just be together free from technology, then we could write it up. It sounds kind of formal, but that's sometimes what it takes. And so we'd set out in this social contract, you know, when we can use our phones, when we can't use our phones. And then the, what I love then is the penalty. Who's going to be the enforcer if we don't do that and what the penalties are going to be? And you can have fun with that. Yeah. And so these social contracts, we've used those to change all types of different behavior. And uh, our smartphone, you should be no um, exception. That's, so that's, that's great another suggestion. And my third suggestion, there's quite a few other things you yeah. can do, but I think those are the best. The third one is I call hair of the dog. <laughs> and, of course, that's a reference to, you know, people who would drink and then have a drink the next morning to kind of to try to stave off their hangover. Well, right. When it relates to technology, what I'm talking about is using technology against itself. 
a lot of your listeners may be aware that there are apps now that monitor our use of our smartphone. And so we can turn our smartphone apps against our smartphone use by um, limiting. We can, where there are apps now, first thing, just knowing how much time you're spending on your smartphone will likely help you cut back when right. you look and say, oh my God, I'm spending three and a half hours a day on this thing and I could be doing a lot of more productive things. That's, that's the first step to cutting back right there. It's, but, it's almost like, yeah. a, it's like an app for your calorie intake. If you don't know oh, you what your calorie intake is, it's, you know, it's hard to combat it. But once you've got some data... And then, you know, same thing like with how many steps you've taken. Right. So I think there's been a lot of good, you know, with the iPhones and the Androids, you can keep track of how many steps you've taken. But by using these um, smart, this hair of the dog idea and using moments or smart cell phone addict, there's a number of different ones that you can get. You can actually program your phone, the app, to only allow a certain number of minutes on Facebook or a certain amount of time on um, eBay. And so we're kind of pitting technology against technology with this idea of hair of the dog. That's great. Well, why, James, did you get involved in this anyway? As a marketing expert and a business kind of expert, how, what led you to talk or to look and research cell phone use? Yeah, that's a good question because that's what I get all the time because uh, this book and my previous book was about you know money and happiness and how money couldn't buy happiness. People say, what are you, are you in marketing or what do you do? <laughs> well, I've always had a fascination with the kind of dark side of consumer behavior. And, you know, and, and again, technology use, there's nothing really wrong with it to a point. But again, that's too much of a good thing. So I've been studying different forms of addictive behavior for a number of years and most most for the most really past 15 years i've spent time looking at and um, researching compulsive shopping or what now a lot of people call shopping addiction so that was another behavior and so i didn't need to be convinced that we can be addicted to behaviors we know that gambling is is you know is seen by the the psychological community as an ad, as an addiction, as a behavioral addiction. And I saw my research in shopping and now in technology and smartphones as very much the same thing as gambling. Sure. It's something we get pleasure from. And when we get pleasure from something, we want to repeat that behavior. And some people will take that to the point where they're causing negative consequences. Oh, it really is. Um... And it's it's just so healthy, I think, to at least be gathering the data, getting the right information, making the right decisions. So as we wrap this up, uh, Dr. James Roberts, what would you say is the one thing, the one thing we could all be doing today in our personal relationships, at our work relationships, to make sure that our cell phones aren't destroying relationships? Yeah, boy, that's a good question. The one suggestion I would make is to, you know, really, you really do need to kind of re-examine. I mean, I love that old quote, I think, with Socrates, but an unexamined life is a life not worth living. Mm -hmm. I think if people can take a step back and really look at how their smartphone use may be impacting both their private, personal relationships, and how also it may be impacting their um, productivity at work. And I think if we sit back and take a careful look at the role our smartphones play in our life, for a lot of us, we're going to see that they're playing too prominent of a role, that maybe we are, in fact, addicted to our smartphones. Yeah. You know what? I appreciate it. It really, it's such great information. And there's more. If you want more information, you can go to the website smartphoneloveaffair.com. Um, is, is that the best place to reach you, Dr. Roberts? Yep, it is. You can, you can buy the book. You can ask questions. You can read my blog. I've had a great – one of my favorite blogs was about, uh, about Tex-Nex. 
about people having sore necks from their <laughs> totally. uh, neck being. I just had my son complaining about so, that. Yeah, lots of good stuff. Great stuff. Appreciate you again. Dr. James Roberts from Baylor University. Go to the website, smartphoneloveaffair.com, smartphoneloveaffair.com. Uh, and check out everything he's got going on there. There's even a test you can take to see if you are addicted. Um, Interesting stuff, folks. We'll take a break, come back, do a quick Coach's Corner on this topic. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Interesting uh, interesting research by Dr. James Roberts. Really, when you think about your own cell phone use, you know that you have fubbed somebody, right? You know that you've snubbed them with your phone. And yet you just get angry and try to blame them, get in an argument with your spouse about... I was just waiting for you. Come on, get off my back. It's interesting, too, some of the differences that, uh, of how we use the phones as we got into that, that, uh, that a lot of women might be using their phone more to further relationships. And again, it might be, that might be somewhat stereotypical, except he had the data to prove it, right? Um, and then others, you know, guys, for example, might use it more to just be entertained, to play a game. And it drives my wife crazy because she's running my Facebook page and uh, all of my social media. So she's she's working her little fingers to the nubbins trying to keep my social media up. And I just sit there and watch Netflix. And <laughs> this is yeah, sound of me playing Netflix or uh, watch playing my video game. A little pinball action. Um, when I talk to my wife, though, it's uh, that that becomes a major fight because you know if you put your phone down, maybe we could talk. Well, I'm just trying to get your social media up. Okay, well, I'm just going to play this video game then. By the way, uh, Deer Hunter 2016. I've been playing that a lot lately, and uh, again, changing changing the lives of millions of animals. That's approval. Deer Hunter 2016. Ah, getting really good at it. Except I don't have the money. I'm not going to spend money on my guns. So I'm trying to kill an animal with half the gun I need. Which James likes. By the way, no real animals were injured in Deer Hunter 2016. Just a bunch of fake, you know, animated animals. What about your relationship? Are you uh, are you going to do something about it? Are you going to learn to turn off your own technology? Are you becoming addicted to it? Because in the end, um, I can't tell you how many times I have sat there in a mediation, like a divorce mediation, and had somebody texting. And I'm th- sitting there thinking, we're talking about your children. Well, yeah, I just got to get back to my boss here. Does your boss know you that you're in the middle of your divorce mediation? Well, no, but blah, 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 blah. Folks, you're still dealing with people. And I remember uh, one of my great bosses uh, when I was a young kind of, uh, I don't know, sales guy, executive. I, um, I had a boss that would sit in the room with you, and as he was talking to you, 
He had his phone faced so you could see on the display who was calling. And I remember sitting there, and he wouldn't answer it. He wouldn't even look at it. But his phone would ring, and I would see that, oh, my heavens, that's like Stephen Covey's office calling you. And in my head, I'm thinking, you got to get that. And he wouldn't even look at it. And there's times that I wanted him to get the phone more than he wanted to get the phone. But it was cool for me because I realized that every time he would let a phone call go, he would always – he goes – he said, it's going to go to voicemail. I'm going to – I'll get back to it right when we're done. But you matter more here. So he would – subconsciously, I'd be knowing that where I fit in the priority of life in that business. And even the executives could go uncalled or those calls would go unanswered when he had somebody in his office. Isn't that crazy? By the way, this guy ended up having uh, the highest growth, fastest growth of anybody in the company. He was phenomenal, an incredible leader, and would just keep moving people along because we would all go to war with this man because he put us as a priority over everybody while, while we were with him. Anyway, folks, remember, phone snubbing, it doesn't work to build relationships or trust or even, by the way, just basic health. When you feel like you're being snubbed, you're going to pay for it. And when you're snubbing someone, you're going to pay for them, whether at work or at home. That's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Come back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer and love stronger. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we bring you the information, the tools, the stuff you need to grow a healthier, happier life. None of us, you know, we're born with an, uh, an owner's manual, so we have to make it up. I had one. Oh, you, were, did it just come in the womb with you? Yeah. Interesting. Just kind of, it was attached. So you just, when you right when you pop out, there's like a bag, and in the bag, stuck to your chest, yeah. was your owner's manual. Yeah, it was kind of like what you get with some of the uh, cell phones or tablets. It just yeah. sort of says "push here to yeah. turn the you know turn the song." It just said "feed me." Is that all it took? Yeah, that was basically the uh, the overwhelming rule to follow when it came to taking care of me is food. Wow! And then I was good. No what problem. about like you know recharge? I guess that's just more food. You just yeah, yeah. recharge just you. more food. Mm-hmm. No, I'll take care of the sleep part. I'll just conk out and you can look at me and go wait a second i think he's asleep yeah so the rest of it's kind of you know you'll figure it out you'll figure it out but food uh i don't know if you heard the big news uh, i'm a grandfather i this if, i mean it could demand some audio support right yeah so it started early mm. friday night it's a long story <laughs> luckily we've got some and you got word? We got word that uh, my daughter's actually started Friday afternoon. Did the walk. mat phone ring? The mat phone. Eh, 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 the mat phone was ringing. And 
I was told that she, her water had broken and she was on the way to the hospital. Oh. Long story short, it wasn't her water. She had actually hit a water buffalo. That's, oh, wow. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> that's a Chevy Chase joke um, for all of you old timers. Wow. And she then was still, they induced labor, they broke her water, and there she sat. Dilated from a three to a four in about three hours. Was this hours. music playing during uh-huh. her labor? This would be very appealing. Don't you think that this yeah. may have been the reason? She's, she's kind of a progressive beat a little bit. You're like, this is going to happen. They tried everything. Long story short, induction, Ugh. water breaking, hmm. oxytocin, more oxytocin, incredible pain, epidural, bada boom, bada bing. She had hardly dilated. Mm. After many, many hours, she had not dilated. So they said, look, the baby's a little stressed. We're going to go do a C-section. And I watched the video. I watched the video of my cute, perfect little Claire coming out of my daughter's gut. But it was beautiful. And she's now here. Eight pounds, 14 ounces, nearly nine pounds of flesh. In that cute, perfect little girl, 21 inches tall, ripped. That girl is ripped. And uh, I, got to, I got to basically see it without being there. You're grossed out. Very much so. Why would you be grossed out? This is your grandchild. No, this it's is your my grandchild. grandchild. Um, Why would I, you be grossed out? I don't need to see the cesarean situation. Oh, but it's fantastic. It, I, I have this vision of Empire Strikes Back, Luke Skywalker, the oh. Tauntaun out in the out in the snow, <laughs> and they slice it open. All the intestines come out. Just, <laughs> I don't need to see all this. No. And then Luke crawls inside. Yeah, no. He's nobody crawled inside. Okay. They just sewed her right up. Yeah, I just and I watched my cute little grandbaby being cleaned off, and she's perfect. Yeah. She is cute as a button. I, I, in that situation, I would be on the other side of whatever. Yeah, she, yeah. My, tar, my son-in-law thing. was, but then he just lifted and his then they just phone up and videoed the, it. Well, then, then just have the baby sort of pop up, kind of like a marionette puppet show. That's type what thing, it did. And, it, Hello, daddy. Here you yeah, Well, they don't talk. No? Well, they could. Not really. No, they're babies. What if it's an intelligent child? If your baby comes out talking, yeah, maybe it was in there too long. You need to, yeah. <laughs> Okay. You need to call uh, TMZ. Four year, <laughs> four year on the back burner. Gotcha. They all can't be Kardashians. Oof. Coming out talking like Kanye. Mm. Um, anyway, perfect Halloween. Then, you know, went home and saw – I had two football games. Sons played two football games. By the way, both won. Bada boom, bada boom. Hmm. Baby. Did, Seriously, a great day Saturday. Did the baby make the game? Baby didn't make the game. Baby, oh. you know what? They're very selfish, those little babies. No, it's like. Like it's all about them. What about Everybody your un- drop everything. Here comes the baby. What about your uncles? They're out there playing. Go then see them. I had all of my children where they would hold the baby. It was just yeah. cute. Yeah. But it changed my life forever. I will never be the same. I am going to spoil that child rotten, and then I will leave that child with their parents. I know that I feeling. They give my kid candy, they give my kid cookies, and then yeah. they say, oh, he's yours. Thanks. And to be loved Thanks. by all these grandparents, I mean, tons of grandparents, it's just amazing. So, and great grandparents, it's fantastic. Anyway, so that's that was my day. I mean, I'm sure you guys had a great week. What are you going to do about a Halloween birthday? But you know what? The great thing, everybody that says, my daughter did not want that. That is the curse. Right. 
But everyone says it's the best because you always have a party and every, you always have people that want to come. And it's yeah. always an, an easy party. It's yeah. just going to be a costume. You don't need to like, where should, we, should we go bowling? No. <laughs> We're just going to have a costume party. Always. And if you don't, just have the school's going to have one. They'll have a big parade on your birthday yeah. every year. At least it's not Christmas. Yeah. Christmas would be tough because there's presents involved and then people start going, this is a Christmas slash birthday. You're like, wait a second. I'm getting the short end of the <laughs> stick here somewhere. And then at church, everyone's like, hey, grandpa. Everyone's like calling me grandpa. Hmm. Then it started bugging me. Yeah. Because then you're like, well. And I'm like, do I look like a grandpa? And many were like, oh, yeah. For quite a few years now. <laughs> yeah. Didn't want to say I'm even feeling like my hips are popping more. Okay. A little arthritis maybe kicking in? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like I'm even moving them. They just pop like when I get out of a chair. I don't know if that's bad or what. Anyway, great news. Uh, Claire, welcome to the family. Welcome welcome to planet Earth. So now we're going to do the show for Claire from here on out. I'm thinking about Claire. Uh, before we move on, let's get to the headlines. Anything else going on around the world other than my grandbaby being born? Yes, other things happening. The investigation into the crash of the Russian commercial airline continues. Uh, senior officials at airline Metrojet on Monday ruled out any technical failure or human error on the part of the airline in the catastrophe. The airline's deputy director for aviation said that the crash could have been caused by an external impact on the plane, although he did not provide any evidence to support his assessment. He said that the investigation would determine the cause. At least three major airlines have announced that they will avoid flying over the Sinai Peninsula until they know more about Saturday's crash. Ben Carson's campaign pushing for major changes in the structure of the remaining GOP debates. Carson's campaign manager met with other campaign representatives over the weekend to discuss many different debate issues, including the prospect of moving debates from TV to the Internet with longer allotted times for candidate statements and fewer moderator questions. They also want candidates to have a minimum of five minutes for opening and closing statements, which would be almost an hour of time alone just for their opening statements with the lineup that was on the stage for the last debate. The debate would be streamed on Facebook or YouTube or, or some service like that, essentially acting as a prolonged pitch for each candidate. There are eight remaining debates, schedules, and if nothing else, many of the campaigns want that number to be decreased. It seems like too much. an independent organization could be created and could make a ton of money just doing the debates. Apparently. You need to have an independent contractor to be the... And then you bring in your cameras after they've already decided what they're going to do. Former Governor Jeb Bush acknowledged his widely panned CNBC debate performance and low poll numbers while campaigning in Iowa on Saturday, ABC News reports. He said, I have enough humility to know I gotta get better, Bush told reporters. Over the weekend, Bush lost his chief operating officer, uh, Christine Chacon, as she left the campaign on Sunday, he spoke with NBC's Meet the Press and explained how he would get his campaign back on track. I'm a grinder. I mean, when I see that I'm not doing something well, then I reset and I get better. I mean, because I can, I can complete a sentence in the English language pretty well, and I have ideas that will lift people up. I'm going to change the conversation on my terms. He's a grinder. <laughs> he can finish sentences in the English language. Mm-hmm. And... What he's was the last one? He's a bush. He's a bush? Is that what it is? He has a lot of money? I don't know. He's going to compete? You know. But he's a grinder, Matt. I, I don't even know what that means because in my head that means something totally different. Than has, I think what he meant. He has ideas that can lift the American spirit. Well, he does. He's a great guy. He just can't. Currently he is pulling uh. fifth in Iowa, fourth. In New Hampshire, so yeah. he has he has work to do. Kansas City Royals won the World Series, beating the New York Mets in five games. 
The Royals win their first World Series championship in 30 years. A recent study, this goes back to our last guest talking about cell phones and their yeah. use in relationships. A recent study has found handing your toddler an iPad is a bad idea. A new study shows 97% of kids under age four have used a mobile device anyway. 75% have a tablet of their very own, a tablet, smartphone, or iPod of their very own. These right. are kids four and under. The small-scale study based in the responses of 350 low-income parents in Philadelphia identified almost universal exposure, early adoption, and use of mobile media devices among young children. The lead author tells, the, tells uh, CBS about 10% of parents say their children use devices unsupervised, including when parents are doing chores. Oh, yeah. So well, this here, is the new TV. We, we did this with TV for years. Occupy your child. Occupy your child. Sure. What's but, the worst but thing the, Then the happen? idea is you're four ages four and under, and they own their own device. Yeah. That's, that's 75%. We're creating monsters. I mean, so if the experts are telling you not to do that, then we ought not do that. They're already telling you, don't kids under two shouldn't have any screen time. Screen time. Yeah. Kids under four should not own their own. My device. my kid last night was playing a game. It's a panda delivering the mail. Oh yeah, he's riding a bike. You get to actually draw on the piece of mail and go give it to Mister Elephant, and he just loves this game. Sure. My wife went to take it from him, and he just put his death grips on either side of that <laughs> iPad and went, "No, it's mine." You know, yeah. And there's just fight to get it done. So I have to. Then you have Stand to, up and be a parent. Go over and remove the child from the iPad. Don't make me hit you, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your parenting is amazing. It's, uh, that's the hard thing is you, if you're using it, then you, then you keep using it. That's what we learned in the last hour. By the way, if you didn't hear our interview last hour about fubbing and phone snubbing, you got to go look it up. You can go to iTunes. You can go to TuneIn. You can go to BYURadio.org and download the old podcast of that. I'm serious. That was a great interview, and um, it's important that we we understand there is an impact to all this technology we're using. It doesn't mean it's it's like horrible, bad, but it has a consequence. Anyway, uh, next up, Kim Giles will be joining us, and Kim, you know her as um, uh, the Clarity Point coaching uh, guru. We bring on every single uh, week. She's she's amazing, and she's today going to be talking about projection in relationships. You can find out everything you need to know about Kim on our website, claritypointcoaching.com. We will take a break, folks. Come right back. We're going to be discussing how you might be projecting your fears onto your spouse. Interesting stuff. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us today, president and founder of Clarity Point Life Coaching, Kim Giles is here. She's a popular life coach, author, speaker, one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country. Uh, as, um, as stated by Good Morning America, we would say she's one of the top five advice gurus in the intergalactic region, which is huge. Kimberly Giles. Thank you, Matt. Welcome to the show. It's great introduction. By the way, uh, she walked in with a huge bottle of water. Water. Just water. But it looked like it was lemon water, you made it clear. Yes. But it just looked like it had a lot of backwash in it. 
No, it's fresh squeezed lemon puts a lot of stuff in your water. Yeah. He's yeah. like, you have a backwash problem. Somebody. No, I don't. You drink like a three-year-old that just had a cookie. <laughs> Would you like cookie. a sip, Matt? No, thanks. I am totally full. Hey, um, you wrote a great article. Again, that's one of the neat things. If you go to her website, you can get hundreds, 300 probably articles you've written plus videos, all this free stuff. But on her website – uh, she wrote an article called, Are You Projecting Your Fears Onto Your Spouse? Now, a lot of people don't get what projection is until they've experienced it, but I'm going to bet everybody's experienced it. Oh, yeah. I, everybody has. Matter of fact, I got a comment on the article this morning from someone that said, could you please get my wife to read this, but don't tell her I said so. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're going to personally send it to her? Everybody is seeing some of this in their relationship. We, oh, yeah. all, we all do it. So explain what projection is. Okay, so basically, I'm projecting what I'm experiencing and feeling onto you. Yeah. And I'm either assuming you are making me feel this way or you are the same as me. Yeah, and we're you the are, same. We're the same. And so I, I teach it as there's a universal law called you spot it, you got it. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and basically, anytime you are, are fed up with your spouse because they're not loving you the way you want to be loved – You've got to look at that in that very moment. Your entire focus is on you, which means you are being selfish yeah, you're and you. you are not loving them no. either. We we are always doing what we're blaming other people for doing. And then I blame it on them, which justifies them to blame it on me. And so if everybody's doing this, then this is the demise of the relationship. If If you're doing it, I'm doing it, and we're blaming everyone for our pain, no one owns it. Yeah, and basically you're you're going to get what you give. So if all you're giving is the selfish neediness, guess what? Your spouse is going to feel that and then feel the need to protect and and take care of themselves and they're going to be selfish and needy too right, and you're right. going to create exactly what you're giving. A monster. You always get what you give. Ugh. So, so there's no hope is what you're saying. <laughs> there's just we're done. Or it's just no, over. there's a lot of hope. Okay. There's ways to, f- to fix this. <laughs> Good. Um, and I'm sure with all the work you do oh, in couples, you have to see this. I see it fun. every day. And But part of it is once you get them to see the pattern, it's a lot of this is just patterning. And once they can see the pattern, then they can at least slow it down well, or, or question it. Well, they can consciously it. recognize, mm-hmm. oh, look what's happening again. Here we go. This is what we're doing. We do this every time. Right. And I always blame her. But I like that idea, you spot it, you've got it, because then it's your choice. It's your agency to do something with it. Yeah. Matter of fact, Matt, I'll often have each person sit down and make a list of all the things their spouse does that drives them crazy. And then take every one of those statements and flip it and write it about you. I do this. I do that. And go through each one and ask yourself honestly if there's ever a time that it's true. And that usually stuns them. Yeah. Because, they're like, what? Yeah. I got a lot of stuff I've got do, to own. Do they, what do your clients say when you do that? Like they, they still come back to you, huh? Yeah. I don't do that on our first visit. <laughs> yeah. Let's do that on the second visit. Well, but it's good because you got to get it. past your fear of failure enough that you can be open to looking at what you're doing. And to be honest, our biggest problem in all our relationships is our own fear that we're not good enough. Right. Because that fear makes us needy and selfish and focused on us and what we want to get. And we literally have put our spouse in charge of our self-esteem and validating in us enough to feel good. And that's not only unfair to make your spouse in charge of that. It's impossible for them to do that for you. If you are terribly afraid you're not good enough all the time, you're going to destroy your own relationship. 
And blame them. And blame them. That's the great benefit. (laughs) But it's still your relationship and it's your life because you're the one feeling the pain. Right. But you – so the minute you're – I guess it is fear. Out of fear, blaming everyone else, you're giving up your right. You're you're abdicating your power. Yeah. I've got to tell you one of my very favorite quotes from uh, The Course in Miracles that I just love. love It says, every response you make is determined by what you think you are. Mm. It's true. And it it really is. This this core fear that you're not enough filters into every interaction you have with anybody. Yeah. And and so I think the biggest most important thing you could do to improve your marriage relationship is to get some help to work on your self-esteem and fear issues. Because those fear issues you are creating a, a reality that you're seeing where everybody is not filling your bucket, giving you what you need. And and you're seeing all this fault in them that's really just a filter of your own accurate view of yourself and your value. So we've got to work on our self-esteem first if we want to have a good marriage. It's so true. And yet again, our tendency is always outside of us. We want the problem to be them, but it's always inside of you. That's It is. So how do we do that? How do I bridge my fear and deal with it instead of just projecting it always on you. Okay, so one of the first things is I want you to start looking at the journey of life a little bit differently. I see that we're we're here to learn and grow and become and and life is basically a big classroom. And it never fails that you marry your greatest teacher. <laughs> you <laughs> is that will what be we're calling subconsciously it? Right. drawn to the person who's going to push your buttons yeah. and help you to see what you need to work on to grow. So every time your spouse offends you or bothers you in some way, I want you to step back from it first and say, what could this be showing me about myself? What do I need to see about me that my spouse's behavior is just bringing to the surface in me so that I can look at it and work on it? Mm. Your number one job is not to fix your spouse. It's to fix you. And this argument or whatever this situation is, it's an issue in this moment and you're upset because of a fear. It's you. You already own. Right. And chances are pretty good that fear has been with you most of your life. It's something that you've you've been experiencing over and over and over in different areas and times of your life. But it's time to fix it. I mean, that's it. You've never fixed it. If you've experienced it your entire life. You've just never fixed it. It's like the teacher keeps giving you the same <laughs> lesson and it's going to keep dishing it out until you fix it. <laughs> so it's interesting. If you actually make this about you, you are going to – let me get this straight. You will either die because you can't <laughs> handle it or you will actually end up starting to deal with it. Yeah, and fix what's wrong. And very finally. few people actually die from this. Yeah, I haven't seen anybody die from having to own so you'll just that fix it. they have an issue yet. <laughs> so <laughs> no, great. you can fix it. And, and you know, in Cl- at Clarity Point Coaching, one of the main things we do with our clients is work on your deepest, most core fundamental beliefs about yourself. Mm. And that belief that you're not good enough is the number one belief that we work on to fix because it's the problem 99% of the time. It's going to come back to that. And does it, it – I'm assuming like it's not like you can just say that. You've you've said that on the show, I don't know, 500 times. Yet yeah. people still don't believe it or they don't hear it or they don't get it. So you must have to tell your clients 
just over and over and over well, and over and over. You kind of do to some extent, but I would bet everybody listening on the call today knows that deep inside they have fear of failure. Oh, yeah. They're not good enough. No, I get executives and people all the time who tell me I'm not scared of anything. Right. Well, are you stressed? Yeah. How often are you stressed? What what are you stressed about? Because I hate to tell you, stress is fear. That's right. And, it's your and body it may be responding to it. More fear of loss than fear of failure, but mm-hmm. either way, it's creating a scarcity and a neediness and a selfishness in your relationships. Because that's what fear does. It makes you worried about you. Yeah. So we gotta fix some of the core beliefs that create these fears. And really, the core belief behind a fear of failure that you're not good enough is just this idea that human value is changeable, that your value is literally in question on the line all the time, that you could goof up and become less than less than other people, less valuable, or you could do really well and become better than other people. And the truth is that all of us have accepted this belief, this idea is truth. That human value is in question. But it's just an idea, Matt. It's not truth. No. So that's the first belief that we really work on changing. And you know, you've read my book. Oh, yeah. Half the book is about how to change that belief. And finally, accept the idea that your value is infinite and absolute and doesn't change. And you're here in the classroom of life to learn and grow, but it's not a test. Uh Uh-uh. Where your value as a human being is going to be docked for every mistake yeah. you make. Loser. Yeah, not at all. Is it? It's It's also – it's interesting because – and I love this in your book. So many times uh, this identity, this fear is – might be even incorporated with your view of religion or God. Like – because it's like you're not good enough. You, you're not going to heaven because you're a sinner. You've done something stupid. Sinners don't go to heaven. You're And so in your book, you start out with just having you identify – a lot of paradigms, a lot of things you think. Like, what is your God? Who is your God? Well, and do you view God as love or God or as Punitive, fear? Right. Yeah, because a lot of us were kind of taught that life's a test and God's waiting to like crush you. Yeah, crush like you. Grade your test and, and talk then... about projection. Totally. If we, if you have a lot of fear that you're not good enough, you will absolutely project that onto God because He's somebody you don't know personally. Uh-huh. You don't have factual knowledge right. of his opinion of you. So you have to project your own ideas about yourself onto how you view God. And you can project it onto anything. You can project it onto your church. Absolutely. You can project all of these feelings all your onto your spouse, onto your country, onto your government. You can project them anywhere. And you will. And you can see that. You can see who's running for office out of fear, who's running out of power. I mean, you can see, you can see their motive. You you literally see the world as you are, folks. You do. You see the world as you are. So you got to work on you. You've got to work on your mindset and your thoughts. Okay, we got to take a break. Oh, my heavens. Uh, It goes so fast with Kim. We'll take a break. Come back with Kim Giles from ClarityPointCoaching.com. Go check out her website and, and her book and her billions of articles. It's huge. Huge stuff, folks. We're talking about projection, losing your fear. When we come back, this uh, we'll continue the discussion right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Show. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us is Kim Giles, uh, advice uh, guru extraordinaire, really, you know, relationship, personal guru, helping you figure out who you are. Lose the fears. um, Lose the shame. If you need help with that, you got to go to the website, claritypointcoaching.com. Kim, welcome back, my friend. This is great. This is, instead of projecting our fears on someone else, We've got to kind of deal with some realities. That's what you were talking about. That there's certain things that we've got to learn. Like everything I think is going on, it's not really going on. It's just me well, making stuff up many times. You, you, your thoughts about what's happening are creating the reality that you're experiencing. So, so basically what we need to recognize is there's two realities. Yeah. There's what I call the unbiased objective reality, which is what is actually happening with no meaning applied to it. It's just the facts. Just the facts, ma'am. And then we have this thought-created reality, which is a reality that we see because of all the thoughts and beliefs that we've projected onto what is actually happening. Right. And a lot of this is coming from our faulty scripts, stories, fear-based programming, much of which was created when we were children. Yeah. And, and it filters everything we see so that we're, we see more than what's really you there. See, you, we, we think we see what's there, but we, we have a selection bias where, we, where as humans we can see and look for what we're looking for. So if I need a reason to find my wife is a jerk, oh, you will I'll see just it. find that. I, I don't look at all the other data. I select that out because that's not relevant to her being a jerk. So find the data that she's a jerk. And, and that's then all I you'll experience. <laughs> yeah. And then, then, then we're like, see, everything. Right. We, and we see that in general with our elections, Republicans against Democrats, Democrats against – I mean, just any watch anything and everyone will see it through their bias. So don't you think it's it's usually a negativity kind yeah, of bias absolutely, too? We yeah. tend to pick out what's wrong and miss Well, because I guess right. that's survival, right? We're trying to not die. So right. I, may, I may as well – you know, if you've been bit by a snake, everything you're looking for are snakes. You're not looking for flowers. Flowers don't bite. Snakes do. So yeah. anything that looks so like a snake. that's all you'll see. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So I had a client recently who got really upset because her husband didn't like the dinner she made. And she took that extremely personally and, and made this big deal about what he had said. Right. And he's this horrible jerk. And, what and, a jerk. Doesn't even like her food. <laughs> So she's experiencing a thought-created reality here. She's applied all kinds of meaning to the fact that he didn't like the meal. Right. So one of the things you've got to do whenever somebody says or does something and you've taken offense and you're upset about it, you've got to step back and see if you can pull out the actual facts that are happening. Mm-hmm. If, if we looked at this in an unbiased way, what's the facts? And she had to recognize, okay, his taste buds didn't really like that particular dish, yeah. which has no bearing on my value or how he feels which, about me which whatsoever. There's data that says that's gone on forever. Absolutely. Like, like let's say it's Mexican food. He's never liked Mexican food. Yet yeah. you, you tried a new spin on a Mexican dish. But he's, the data shows he's never been into Mexican. And and whether his taste buds like a dish right. has nothing to do that's with right. you that's right. whatsoever. That's right. And and us taking offense, usually that's because we're looking for evidence to make him the bad right. guy and we'll pull it out of thin air if we need to. Well, that's one reason why we can't be so reactive because if I'm offended and I want to be hurt, then I don't even look for other data even though there's data there. I just take my pain, turn it into an interpretation and just – I call it go down the low road. And I just yeah. go right down the low road. And if I go down the low road, I'm going to feel low and I'm going to do low. And then, you know, 
self-fulfills. It does. And boy, you know, this kind of fear reaction produces such immature behavior. (laughs) Guys, this is not who we want to be. The drama that we create that's unnecessary drama, self-inflicted suffering. Stop it. It doesn't have to be this way. But that's what's so great about being human is that no one can tie us down because it's interpretation. You know what I mean? So it's not factual. It's, Everything is perception. That, that's why that's Everything. why fights go so on for so long because a lot of times they're not even fighting facts. They're fighting interpretations. But they argue an interpretation like it's fact. You – like this. You are so stupid. OK. That is an interpretation. Totally. That is not a fact. There are facts. Your ACT score was six. Your – whatever the data you're going to use to make that conclusion. But no one gets to the data. We immediately just get offended and we start arguing. So do you, do you encourage them to do content communication uh-huh. and let's talk about what the actual well, facts are? Too? kind of. What I do too is I teach them – in a way you can do that, but all facts are still selected. I always teach that facts are neutral. So the minute it no longer feels neutral to you, it's interpretation. you are in interpretation. So I teach them to put a space between facts and feeling and the minute they're feeling something, they've already crossed into interpreting. So just notice that, that your interpretation is going to lead you down one road or another, high road, I call it, or low road. And if you're already down the low road feeling negative, you need to back up and ask for more data, which is what every conversation is about, right? We're supposed to talk to get more data. You know, on top of that, I want my clients really paying attention and watching inside themselves for fear of being insulted or looking bad, the fear of failure or the fear of loss that I feel taken from or walked on because those are your hot buttons that are going to trigger you to attack your spouse. And basically every moment of the day, you're either coming from fear or you're coming from love. And I sometimes make them keep track during a week how many interactions with their spouse were they were coming from fear, Uh feeling rejected or taken from, or from a place of love where you're actually caring about the spouse and, and you've got to re- recognize in any moment you are in charge of your reaction to this. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fear, which is going to be dr- drama, immature, time, bad right? behavior every time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or choosing to show up with in love in that moment, yeah. which means you'll behave <sighs> in a way worthy Damn. of you. So, so, okay. So where can they go? If they go to your website, claritypointcoaching.com. They yeah. really ought to go take the fear assessment. You got to take the fear assessment. But Yasha should go to the resources page and there's a worksheets page. Okay, yeah. On the worksheets page, there's a great worksheet we call the to be or not to be upset worksheet. <laughs> and this is so simple, guys. Anytime you're getting upset, you just fill that out. By the time you get to the bottom, you'll realize you have other options here besides being upset and offended. That's right. That are a lot more mature, that you'll feel better about yourself and create better relationships. And lots and, of great worksheets like that available. And you can just go through all the worksheets and check them out. I mean, that's, again, there's more free per pound on Clarity Point well, Coaching. we're trying to give folks the what tools. they need. I know. So it's all there. Go take Makes you wonder how you survive financially, but you're willing to do it because you're amazing. You're well, a giver because you know why you come out of love, not is, fear. A coaching program is really amazing. If anybody, yeah. and then needs yeah, help, that's it. That's and then you fair. can get a coach. So go read it. Go take the test. Get her book, and then um, if you need, get the coach going too. The whole thing. Clarity Point Coaching, folks. We'll take a break. Thanks, Kim, for being here. Thanks for having me. Awesome stuff. We'll be right back, folks, with our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Let's go down to our uh, our worry-free duo. Today, it's... Oops, someone fell in the water. Was that you, Jerem? Jerem and Brian down at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. What's up? Good morning. Did, did you fall in the water, somebody? I heard some water. Nope. Apparently not. I think that was the music that you're playing. Oh, wow. How yeah, astute. It means, it means no worries. You know? <laughs> it means no worries. Hey, uh, how was Halloween? Did you guys celebrate? Uh, yep. Sure did. Yeah, we both have little kids. My son did all the work for me. Did did he get a, did he get a good did he get a good uh, bag full of candy for you, Brian? Uh, he kind of he kind of didn't. Um, oh. you know it it was it was it wasn't his fault. Obviously, it was just you know kind of the area that we selected uh, just didn't have that great of candy. Oh, so, d- disappointing. Yeah, it was disappointing, and then it was it it kind of sucks at the same time because you know we me and my wife if it was good candy we would have taken most of it and and, and you know eaten it uh but the fact that we <laughs> didn't want to cuz it was nasty we just let him eat it all and then he was bouncing around everything hold on you, you it was too nasty for you so you let your child eat it yeah mm-hmm. that's correct seems, yeah, ne- did, seems negligent a little bit <laughs> <laughs> seems a little negligent <laughs> I'm not saying. I'm just, yeah, no, he had no naps uh, this <laughs> weekend, so yeah, it's kind of yeah. That's pretty classic. Hey, um, I don't know if you guys heard, but I'm a grandfather. Oh, congratulations! congratulations. First uh, one, uh, first grandchild born on Valentine or on uh, Valentine's Day, Halloween. Ooh, I know, scary. Yeah, dressed her up as a minion. She's so cute. Anyway. Um, so you had to go walk around. I, I didn't go. This was the first time in all of my years as a dad that I didn't go out with my kids. They're really? too old now. They don't need me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you just had a grandbaby. Yeah. You, went, yeah. you went walking around the hood. Well, I, I also needed I, – I had. I had just had a baby. I needed to relax. I needed to rest. You guys could have went around, I guess, to different doors uh, in no. the hospital, right? Yeah, we did that, and security was actually called. Oh. And they just said, can you leave these people alone? Why are you bothering those? We're like, trick or treat. Trick or treat. Yeah. What are you going as? I'm going as a really old man. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah. It's so sad. It's candy everywhere. Whenever I'm in the you, hospital, you I'm like, mints. hey, honey, can you go to Costco and get a bag of candy just in case someone knocks on our door? Yes, that's what I would <laughs> I love it. Hey, did you guys, um, did you hand out a lot of candy? Or today, by the way, November 2nd is Deviled Egg Day. So I know you guys. You guys seem like a couple of people that would rather just hand out deviled eggs. Um, false. Uh, <laughs> nope. I, I don't I, always I, hand them out, but when I do, it's November second. But when I do, it's November second. <laughs> I uh, I just filled up a bowl of candy and I just put it on the porch. Mm. Um, and I was just was just hoping that the kids would just take oh, one. You're like that guy. Yep, I am that guy. You're you're the guy that causes the fights. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. I've heard or of you. cavities. Or cavities. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a dentist. I don't know if you heard this, if, and I don't know if I, I like these people. It seems like a good idea, but a bad idea. This is an Albuquerque dentist that's buying back Halloween candy. $1 a pound up to five pounds worth. Mm-hmm. How many pounds do you guys think you you uh, you received over the weekend? 
Uh, not that much. Oh, my kid? No, we so. literally went to like one and a half streets. That was it. With that my was my two-year-old. That's all we yeah, could do. Come we, on. We, we, went to, we went through our development, which is, I mean, it's pretty big. And then we crossed the street, and then he got tired by that time. So <laughs> uh, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't too much. That's brilliant parenting because you have him walk the whole way, right? Because then no, you wear him out. Had, so, no, so we actually had him run. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Smart. So, so what we did was strategically, me and my wife, and a little bit because she's pregnant, but oh. we stayed in the middle of the street. Uh, and then we just had him run from sideline to sideline. Yeah, no, that was smart. You, know. you went, you went across Roughly the street, house yards. to house. Yeah, about fifty-three yards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so that way, all we had to do was just, you know, walk down this, yeah. you know, walk down the street, but then just turn our heads, you know, whatever. That is fantastic. Yeah, you don't have to like. Yeah, you just walk in the street, which a lot of people think is safe. Oh yeah, it's extremely safe on Halloween. Yeah, no, honey, what? keep crisscrossing the road. Crisscross gonna. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, this is jump. this is a big deal. You're just barely getting started with all of this. You you get to do this for I don't know the next twenty years. I would say the next five because once he's once he has friends, then he could just go with his friends. Oh, Bri, 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 Bri. That, no, hey, my, my, my mom no. used to call me that. That's my nickname, Bri, Bri. Everybody she, calls me uh, Bye bye, Logan, <laughs> bye bye. But it's really Bri. No, B-Lo. 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 Yeah, B-Lo. Yeah. Bri-Bri, though. No, I call you Bri-Bri. And um, y- your wife and I have been talking. But she's, <laughs> she said it's it's probably – it's still negligent to let him go you know, when they're five or six or seven. I just barely let my 10-year-old go by himself. Well, see, I, no. See, my son's, my son's – he's four. Okay. I'm going to say about five years. You know? Yeah, he'll be oh, nine. Oh, you know what? I forgot about the other one. Yeah, you'll have another one then. Yeah. Well, the other one well, he, he, the brother, isn't. The brother, yeah. he can go with he can go with. Mom. You know what? That's what you do. You yeah. just put him in the back like a little bean bag. It just, like, just stuck him. Just Get put... the flyer wagon. <laughs> Drag him around the hood. Just... I saw that, actually. I was pretty amazed that people were actually driving. And it was the weirdest thing, man. It, I thought I was on punk or something because there was like 20 <laughs> kids coming out of these vans. And what I was is like, this? There's, no, SWAT. there's <laughs> no way there's 30 kids coming in and out of this van. How did you get out of that van? Hey, by the they way. They come from uh, Colorado City. Just wondering. <laughs> Jerem, you, Jerem, you didn't hear, but Brian and Jason, they were crazy last week. Yeah, we no, did, I didn't. Did you not hear? No. Like they well, basically rebranded the show. To the shows. No, they, they rebranded them. I'm they... a fan of this program. Do you, do you listen to your own show? Yeah, I try and listen to the show. There, there's some pretty good. You know, there's Brian. I think is wants your job. Uh, we've shot two commercials about this very subject. <laughs> really? Yeah. So you're you've not seen them? Yeah, but you're not giving them up. You're not giving your job up. I'm here to be, you know, the best that I can be, and if Coach wants me in the game, that's the political you know. answer. There you go. You know, no, you, know, you know, in the locker room, that right there, that's the locker room talk right there. Yeah, then he talks smack when no one's uh, listening. Carry my pad. Brian is a vital piece of this program. Vital is great. I use and the word vibrant. Network. Vibrant's a great word too. Vibrant piece of this program. Vibrant, vital, enthusiastic, handsome, intelligent, mm. funny. Mm. Short. Yeah, we need all of these things. Short, ruggedly good looking, and we looked Short, for them, dark and, and we found them in Brian. Negligent parent, <laughs> just words. Listen, if you perform when the lights are on, you could, he killed you know, it. Just they did the great. Law. Just don't hey, make the law. Are you guys still doing your show today? You're going to do it today too, huh? We are going to do it today. What well, What are you doing today? Anything interesting that we need to know? Oh, we got to hurry and let you get every there. time. Oh, well, it's always opinion. interesting. What today though is going to really knock our socks off? Yeah. So ESPN. Has uh, they have what's called a football power index, so they give percentages to all the college football teams and what mm-hmm. percent chance those teams have to win out. So 
BYU has four games left. We'll tell you what percentage Ooh. ESPN gives BYU to win out and what we think. And that's our Twitter question today for the fans as well. Because BYU has four games left. They're 6-2. and two. They have a chance to finish the regular season with 10 wins, yeah. which is the goal every year is to win at least 10 games. Yeah. Digits, BYU yeah. doesn't have a game on the schedule left where you go, mm, that's going to be really tough to win. Granted, they have some tough ones, but BYU doesn't have at Wisconsin and at Notre Dame like they did right, two not years like the, ago. Right. Okay. Plus, Trevor, Trevor Maddox will weigh in. We'll talk about hoops. Jimmer Fredette drafted in the D-League. What does that mean? Hmm. Uh, just a little bit on that. And then Mitch Matthews. We, I, we saved this to the last. I don't know why. Did you see the Mitch Matthews and BYU football team photo that went yeah, viral? That was great. We're going to have Mitch Matthews on the show today. He's going to tell us about what went into that picture. It looked remember totally real. So, yeah, remember the awesome. Titans. ESPN, SB Nation, CBS Sports, everyone everybody, everybody. It went viral <laughs> over the weekend. Fantastic. Yeah, what, was, it, was it Mitch that had the bad wig? Somebody had a bad wig. Yes, Mitch had a yeah, bad Mitch, wig. Yeah, Mitch did. Mitch was sunshine. That was great. Sunshine. Okay, that's a great show. Of course, Kay, you gotta, I know you got to go get busy and get waxed up and – you know, take your sugar. That's not here, so we're yeah, good. Yeah, we're, we're good. good. That's right. You're all wise. I did mine uh, last night. Come okay. ready to go. <laughs> Brian planned ahead. Hey, all right, guys. Have a great show. Knock them dead. Thanks, Matthew. Keep, keep it going. Be strong. Remember who you are. Um, good stuff. It's funny. The young, the young fathers, they've got a lot to learn. They've still got a bunch of kids they're going to have. They're not going to be able to just sit home like I did. I got to watch a game. And every time the door would knock, we'd just yell, Marty, get the door. It was so sad. My wife, she didn't have a great Halloween, except for the fact she's a grandma now. She was still in la-la land. Hey, um, we always want to tell a couple stories. Uh, One, you got to hear this. This is crazy. So uh, uh, there's a a soldier that won a a costume, uh, a Halloween costume contest. And he was the bomb. Wow. Mm. Quite literally. Uh, this poor installation. Okay, so Fort Bragg, it's a, it's a military installation in North Carolina, right? And this soldier tried to get into the installation dressed up as a suicide bomber, the military said. The soldier was not identified. The costume prompted a gate to be cleared and a response from the Explosive Ordnance Disposal Team at Fort Bragg. The costume included a simulated explosive vest. Costumes of this sort are not allowed on Fort Bragg, the base said in a statement. The senior commander of Fort Bragg further directs that soldiers not wear costumes of this sort off post and strongly encourages soldiers, uh, civilians, and and family members of the soldiers to, uh, to be careful with what they're wearing around the community. We don't want to create a a fear. So, again, uh, suicide bomber costumes out if you're trying to enter a a military installation. I would probably say out of any government installation as well. Call me (sighs) old-fashioned. Ben's looking at me like, oh, well, there goes next year. Um, Also, I don't know if you heard this, but an Arizona driver uh, got a scare from – you remember the big balloon that was floating around the East Coast? Well, the West Coast in Arizona – They've got their version as well. Halloween tricks came early for some drivers and pedestrians in the Phoenix area when a giant inflatable pumpkin bounded down the roadway in high winds. A 25-foot-tall pumpkin escaped from its display, promoting the Peoria Monster Bash Thursday, sailing down the street and damaging two streetlights. Pumpkin owner Patrick Sparks with the big AZ promotions uh, 
said it took him 40 minutes to track the giant squash down. Peoria officials said it wasn't vandalism, but windy weather that sent the jack-o'-lantern on its trip. No one was injured, though the streetlights and the pumpkin needed a few repairs. Way to bring in that music, too, by the way. Is that the pumpkin off to the race music? It's the, yeah, it's the pumpkin running away. Yeah, I, I was wondering what it was called. That's it. Pumpkin yeah. run away. It's, it's called the Great Pumpkin Running Away. Oh, yeah. Kind of from ah, the I love peanuts, that. yeah. Uh-huh. Love that show. Well. Hey, uh, our hero of the day. We always like to end with a hero. Today, our hero is Sid Bush, 69-year-old jogger and Navy veteran. The 69-year-old Sid Bush ran his 200th marathon to honor fallen service members and to raise awareness for PTSD. Over the last day, decade, Sid Bush from Goose Creek, South Carolina, has become a fixture in the running community as he competes in most of his marathons and half marathons carrying a large American flag and a picture of a fallen service member pinned to his back. Bush, a retired Navy senior chief petty officer, has completed hundreds of marathons and half marathons as a way to honor fallen service members. According to the Department of Veteran Affairs, about 11 to 20 out of every 100 veterans, or um, 11 to 20 percent, who have served in wars in Iraq and Afghanistan suffer from post-traumatic stress. By comparison, about 7% of the general population will have post-traumatic stress at some point in their lives. Most families of the service members he honors are not present at the races Bush runs, so he sends his finisher's medal and T-shirt to them or takes it himself to Arlington National Cemetery to place it on the fallen soldier's gravestone. Sid Bush, our 69-year-old jogger and Navy vet, We honor you today as our hero of the day. Folks, we're all heroes to somebody out there. Let's uh, let's make it a point to uh, be there and look out for each other. Until tomorrow, we'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Take care. We'll talk again tomorrow.